Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to a brand new edition of The Sea Report, coming to you live on this Monday, January 10th, 2022. I almost said 21, but uh, I hope everyone is doing well tonight, and you guys are having a great evening out there as we get ready to uh, spill into... uh, um, well, more news and more headlines, more tales of uh, what is going on around the world and out there. And, uh, you know, staying ahead and abreast and informed about all of the events that have been taking place, at least whilst we can, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are at, uh, what, what are we now? The second week of January. Second week of January, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we got a lot of stuff cooking for you guys tonight. As always, uh, we'll be presenting uh, you guys with a few updates in the headlines and then kind of one kind of main focus story for uh, you all to digest this evening. See what you guys think about that and, uh, well, how it, how it suits your fancy. Uh, we are coming to you guys live tonight, as always, on um, several platforms, including uh Pill.net, the foxhole.app, as well as Clout Hub, uh, and also Twitch, DLive, and Trovo. So I'd like to thank you all for joining us tonight if you are out there in the bouts. And, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I also would like to encourage you guys if you uh, would prefer to get to this broadcast in your earbuds and uh, on the go with you guys, you know. Take the Sea Report to get your news and headlines, uh, you know, um, as you're uh, driving, exercising, doing yard work, doing homework, or maybe you're just not the live stream kind of person. Well, you can always head over to anchor.fm slash the Sea Report, and uh, you could subscribe there for free. Or you could always go over to your favorite podcast station and uh, you can uh, search us out. And you can also uh, subscribe there as well, ladies and gentlemen. Or you know what? Better yet, if uh, that's too hard, because I got to tell you, with uh, a name with as many uh, keywords as the C report, I'm sure you can imagine there's probably probably about 30 dozen of them out there. So you can always also go over to thecreport.com. And uh, if you click on, um, let me think here, I think it's on the episodes page or the show news page, uh, which is on the uh, menu at the top right hand corner uh, or left hand if you're staring at it the right way. Uh, You can, uh, there's actually links provided there to, uh, you know, about, I don't know, a dozen or so different platforms where you can subscribe for free. We're on most major platforms as the C-Report goes except for iHeartRadio, which is all fine and dandy, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, quite frankly, or to be quite frank, I should say, um, I don't heart radio. (laughs) 
but it's all good. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I hope everyone's doing well tonight. And uh, you guys are uh, having a great Monday afternoon, uh, recovering from uh, your weekend or, you know, perhaps just getting into the swing of things. Uh, you know, this weekend, what did we do? Uh, this past weekend, we had uh, we actually did an episode of Mr. C in the Dark, which is another show that airs on this broadcast. We typically do that more toward the weekends, and we just have a good old casual time, and uh, we talk about uh, you know whatever kind of uh, whatever kind of uh, sometimes it's news, sometimes it's current events. This past weekend, we actually had, I guess, a kind of funner show a funner show, and uh, we were talking about the uh, the Bogdanoff brothers. Uh, I don't know if any of you all caught that show. It was a weird show, that is for sure, because uh, after all, the Bogdanoffs are uh, very interesting and peculiar characters. Uh, interesting enough, I opened up a browser right now uh, just to kind of see, hey, is there anything I'm going to throw into this open before we get our show underway? Yeah, and there it is. Paris says farewell to extraterrestrial Bogdanov twins. Uh, so I'm okay. So now they have another story to add to their uh, their mythos or their uh, their legacy or their legend or however you want to call it. But uh, you know, it, it'll kind of play into tonight, I guess you could say, uh, because here you have uh, the Bogdanov brothers who um, who allegedly, or at least they were self-proclaimed uh, to have been there at the birth and uh, to have been a part of, essentially, the creation of cryptocurrency, right? And, uh, so, you know, we have the Bogdanov brothers, both of them having passed away. And, uh, well, what do we have going on uh, on the other side of the world? Uh, well, it just so happens in, uh, what, I think the second largest uh city area second largest capital for uh, mining cryptocurrency uh we had like a week of unrest that just passed here ladies and gentlemen now i'm willing to bet that between the bogdanov twins who are self-proclaimed uh, creators of cryptocurrency i mean there is no real proof to back that up in fact, there's no real proof to back up a lot of the claims that were made of the Bogdanov brothers, but um, I'll, I'll take I'll, I will chalk that one up as a coincidence, ladies and gentlemen, um, because well, you know I don't tend to believe in coincidences here over at the Sea Report. They just uh, don't fly well with me, you know, coincidences. Uh, but, yeah, I'll, I'll chalk that one up as a coincidence. Unrest in the second largest uh, cryptocurrency mining uh, area post-Bogdanov brothers passing. But um, was that truly the cause? Well, heck, don't quote Mr. C on that, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, yes, the city of, uh, I mean, sorry, the uh, country of Kazakhstan goes into meltdown when Bogdanov brothers die. No, 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 no. I did not say that. Don't you dare soundbite it. Uh, but actually, we will be talking about Kazakhstan tonight. It seems to be uh, one of the more uh, um, recent and uh, hmm, uh, bigger topics, I think, uh, that we can actually jump into. And now, as it seems that the, de the dust is settling over there in Kazakhstan, um, well, well, we'll kind of pick through 
Well, I think it would be in poor taste to say we'll pick through the the, rub- the rubble <laughs> and the, the wreckage over there because, uh, indeed, uh, you know, riots, protests, looting, uh, you know, uh, sacking of government uh, um, uh, workers as well as uh, uh, burning of government buildings and all of that stuff, calling in international armies to uh, assist. There was a lot of stuff going on over there in Kazakhstan, and I'm sure a lot of you all uh, if you haven't been following or are interested, uh, would like to know how we kind of dissect that down tonight. So uh, we'll take a look at that in a little bit. They have a pretty interesting history over there in Kazakhstan. And uh, after reviewing a lot of footage and reading uh, several, several, several pieces of information from various news agencies, uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting picture that begins to form in Kazakhstan. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm most interested to know what, how, and who are in relation uh, to events that, you know, we see playing out in places like Ukraine. Uh, because, again, uh, in Kazakhstan, uh, we have uh, Russian involvement. And, uh, man, Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia is the popular pretty girl at the dance, ladies and gentlemen. It seems like everyone either wants a piece of it or they want to get a piece of it, if you know what I mean. And so uh, Russia has been involved in Kazakhstan and uh, the uh, protests have been quelled. But we'll be able to take, I guess, uh, you know, different looks at what that would mean, you know, particularly uh, when, uh, you know, because as Americans and uh, particularly if we are of the, uh, you know, the conservative or patriot kind of, you know, uh, ilk, like we, uh, we have our own thoughts about these protests. It's not like, you know, if you were an Antifer or if you were a Emmer, you know, you would see a protest out there and immediately you'd be like, oh, you know, uh, power to the people, you know, si se puede, yes, we can. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know, burn those bras or whatever. And uh, of course, you know, you, you, we wouldn't be able to look at both sides of the coin. We wouldn't be able to uh, kind of, you know, uh, uh, sift through the information. Uh, we'd probably just get rather emotional and, uh, I don't know, throw a bag of urine at someone. I don't know. What do Antifers do? I don't know what they do these days, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what Antifers do these days. So I couldn't tell you, but, you know, we'll take a look at that. So I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get too heavy into Kazakhstan just yet because we got a couple of other things to go through. We're really going to be doing uh, uh, some updates uh, from last week's stories that we've been uh, primarily focusing on. So we'll do a little bit of uh, election updates as far as, uh, you know, the integrity of those elections go. Uh, we'll take a look at uh, Georgia and Wisconsin specifically. Not huge updates because we, we, we really want to talk about Kazakhstan tonight. And then uh, we will also uh, take a look at some updates on what's going on with Maxwell and the shadow of Epstein. Because, yes, uh, though these developments uh, are, uh, you know, uh, they're minuscule, but they are developments nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, of course, if we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, Maxwell and the shadow of Epstein, well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to see that uh, Alan Dershowitz is starting to come into the spotlight, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because Alan Dershowitz, of course, is an alleged abuser, uh, as uh, has been accused by one um, Virginia Roberts Jufree, and uh, they have a trial set to come up. So we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, 
And uh, we will uh, we will jump into that. But of course, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as we uh, begin our shows today, let me uh, inform you who is bringing you the news today. Tonight's stories are brought to you by Just the News, The Gateway Pundit, The MacIver Institute, The New York Post, The Business Insider, The Jerusalem Post, NBC News, and The Manila Times, ladies and gentlemen. As they say... I don't make this stuff up, but uh, yes, indeed, very, very, very happy to be sharing uh, this information with you guys tonight. All right, before we jump into the thick of things, let me go ahead and uh, pop in real quick to say hello to uh, some of our live audience. If you're joining us over at Twitch or Clout Hub, Thank you all for being present. Um, I will, uh, you know, if, if we ever have anyone in Twitch that wants to uh, participate in chat, well, most definitely I can pick up those comments um, uh, via my uh, live streaming platform. Now, Clout Hub's a little bit different. Um, I'm going to make it a point to be uh, over in Clout Hub Live when I get the chance. So this way, if there's anyone who's joining us live, because uh, we do live stream this uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, we can go ahead and uh, not be neglecting our audiences, right? I uh, don't want to do that. But over at uh, the foxhole.app and pill.net, looks like we got uh, we got a few people in the house. Tombstone, good evening. Disco Ball Chaser, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Sherry Pittsburgh is also joining us. Subpack Vet, hello, sir. And Two Rivers is in the house. Hey, buddy, what's up? Good to see you, sir. And uh, we got Relanon lurking and a lurking and, uh, you know, a working that a lurking. Love it, Mr. Uh, Railanon, and uh, glad to have you with us. Thank you for donating 117 gold pills. Uh, Two Rivers says, Mr. Satoshi of Japan came up with cryptocurrency. Were those Bogdanov brothers uh, there with him? Well, Mr. Two Rivers, uh, as we talked about on Saturday night, oh, was it Saturday night? Saturday night, Saturday night show on the Bogdanov brothers, yes. They claimed to know, they claimed to have known, sorry, past tense because they've passed, um, uh, was it Nakimoto? Samatoshi or something like that. Satoshi. I think that's what his name was. Nakimoto. Uh, anyhow, yes, they claim to have known him and they claim to have been there with him. And uh, they named a specific part of the currency or of the cryptoid, whatever it is. I guys don't really know and or uh, understand cryptocurrencies. I mean, you know, I don't want to make myself seem uh, totally ignorant to what uh, the functions of cryptocurrencies are or anything like that. But as far as, you know, what do they mean when they say they have to mine cryptocurrencies? I mean, can't they just add zeros in a computer like, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve Central Bank and all of the other central banks do when they're creating currency? I don't know. I don't get it. All I know is Kazakhstan was uh, the second largest uh, um, uh, crypto mining uh you know, operation. So uh, that's rather interesting to me, ladies and gentlemen. I couldn't tell you much more than that, but I hope that uh, satisfies your question, uh, Mr. Two Rivers, in regards to Satoshi and his being the creator of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have here? Uh, CJM61, good evening. Good evening, sir. Welcome back in. Good to see you in the audience. And uh, again from Two Rivers, uh, says, Kazakhstan was to be exploited by the NWO until President Putin of Russia stepped in and stopped the fiasco. But question marks at the uh, close of that. Well, Mr. Two Rivers, we are going to jump into that. We're going to jump into Kazakhstan, what happened, uh, some of the uh, possible reasons why the uh, 
uh, riots and protests were happening in Kazakhstan. We're also going to jump into a little bit of history of Kazakhstan, and we're also going to jump into some of the uh, Russian relations towards Kazakhstan. And it looks like, ladies and gentlemen, this just in, breaking news. Uh, we have been booted off of the foxhole.app. Yes, we have been booted off the foxhole.app. Okay. Well, I apologize to the uh, community over there at the foxhole.app and pill.net, uh, but it looks like uh, it looks like we will not be live yet again on their platform. So, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, what can I say? I mean, I, I don't. Uh, oh wait, no, yeah, I don't have I don't have the resources to fix that right now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but if, uh, if any of you guys happen to hop over to, uh, Twitch or Clout Hub or any of the other platforms that we, uh, broadcast on, well, all I would say is get a hold of management and maybe they can take care of it. Um, let's see here. Sean Joe had gifted a cookie. He gifted two cookies. All right. And Sherry Pittsburgh also in the house. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to actually finish addressing the, uh, the chat room over there, ladies and gentlemen, because you know what? Well, why not? Oh yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you. Okay, guys. All right. Well, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys are excited about tonight's episode, uh, particularly as we uh, jump into Kazakhstan. Uh, but that will have to wait until the the end of the episode. Don't worry, guys. We'll uh, we'll we'll get on top of that real quick. But uh, as we do in uh, typical fashion here at the Sea Report, let's go ahead and start our uh, show with a. Uh, Statement from President Trump. Oh, that is, whoa, that is not President Trump. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Brad Raffensperger, you rat. Where did you come from? <laughs> my bad, guys. I don't know where Brad Raff- Raffensperger came from, but there he is haunting us with... Uh... <laughs> that scared me, guys. So, uh, you know, don't... <laughs> Uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, I understand if you guys also had a little bit of a jump there. Let me see if I can't find that statement real quick from, uh, President Trump. Uh, <laughs> wowzers. That was alarming, ladies and gentlemen. That was quite alarming. Uh, let's see here. Could it be one of these? Da, 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 da. I could just go pull it. Uh, I know somewhere I can pull it from real quick. Um, oh, this might work also. Oh, this might work also. Okay, this is probably it. Ha ha! I found it. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better, ladies and gentlemen. Creative Writer says, issues across Foxhole tonight. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there are issues going on. I'm sure there are issues at Foxhole, but I'm not going to get the subscription. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and carry on and carry forth, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, what the last time that happened, the show ended up being like four hours long, but it was only like two hours worth of uh, two hours worth of broadcasting. So, all right, cool. All right. I do apologize to the Foxhole family again. I will, uh, I'll, I'll get, I'll get in touch with management over there, but uh, if you guys did as well, that, that might help too. Okay. All right. So this statement comes from President Trump on today, the 10th, talking about uh, a, new, a newly discovered rhino, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's rhino hunting season. So uh, let's get into it. It says, Senator Mike Rounds of the great state of South Dakota just went woke on the fraudulent presidential election of 2020. 
He made a statement this weekend on ABC Fake News that despite massive evidence to the contrary, including much of it pouring in from Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and other states, he found the election to be okay, just fine. Is he crazy or just stupid? The numbers are conclusive, and the fraudulent and irregular voters are massive. The only reason he did this is because he got my endorsement and easily won his state in 2020. So now he thinks he has time, and those are the only ones, the weak, who will break away. Even though his election will not be coming up for five years, I will never endorse this jerk again. Oh, lordy. President Trump calling him a jerk. It's rhinos like this that are allowing the Democrats to destroy our nation. Our borders, our military, our economy, inflation, the horrible handling of the China virus and Afghanistan, and rampant crime throughout our Democrat-run cities are ripping our country apart. We are a laughingstock throughout the world when we were respected and even feared just one year ago. There were no thoughts of Russia with Ukraine, China with Taiwan, Iran with nuclear weapons, or North Korea with nasty statements. The radical left, uh, the radical left Democrats and rhinos, like Senator Mike Rounds, do not make it easy for our country to succeed. He is a weak and ineffective leader, and I hereby firmly pledge that he will never receive my endorsement again. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a very, very, uh, very harsh statement there. Colin, call, you don't want to be called a jerk by the President of the United States of America. That's, that is for dang sure. Uh, you probably also don't want to be called a rhino either, right? Uh, and I got to say it, guys. It is rhino hunting season. It's been rhino hunting season for quite some time. But I think we have uh, an acute understanding of what we're looking at with these rhinos. Uh, and let that be the litmus test, ladies and gentlemen. Let that be the litmus test. If, uh, if all of us... Um, contacted our respective or respected, yeah, respective elected officials and asked them their opinion or their thoughts on the 2020 election um, or on, uh, you know, election audits or on election integrity. Well, you know, I think they could probably get away with the generic answer if we asked them, how do you feel about election integrity? I guess we would have to ask them specifically about 2020. Uh, in order to really, really get a sense of where our elected officials stood on that matter. And if they say nothing was wrong with, uh, you know, nothing was wrong with the 2020 presidential election, if they say they've never, ever, ever seen or been told or read of any proof of election fraud happening in 2020, well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that would uh, that would be a pretty good litmus test to know where they stand. Uh, now, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, if uh, you are a member of the audience and you happen to be, uh, you know, 
Democrat or a liberal or any other any other political party. And, and we're pretty nonpartisan here at the Sea Report. I'm sure everyone is rolling their eyes. But honestly, guys, we're all about America and truth and information, right? Uh, you know, but it just so happens, you know, that our primary audience, um, you know, it is America first, you know, a patriotic and, and conservative. Um, so with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, you know, a Democrat elected official obviously is not going to agree with anything having to do with election fraud in 2020. But uh, for anyone conservative, any uh, whether that's Republican or, you know, libertarian or constitutional, anything like that, you know, uh, asking them, you know, a question about 2020, I think, would be a good way to get a pulse on how they felt that's kind of just how I feel about it. Like, you know, at the moment, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, this entire uh, situation that was going on with uh, Senator Cruz and uh, the January 6th uh, statements he made that inflamed his base, basically. <laughs> and uh, probably probably put a little uh, probably made it a little harder for him to get reelection. But I don't think anyone's running against him anyways, um, you know, but anyhow. Uh, you know, he said he's he hasn't even signed the uh, to certify or audit all 50 uh, states uh, um, a list there from uh, Senator uh, Wendy Rogers out of Arizona. You know, if he's all about election integrity, I mean, I think he should sign that uh, sign that document. Uh, John Ca- John Hancock style, ladies and gentlemen, at least that's my opinion on the matter. Uh, but anyhow, guys, so there you have it. Uh, very, very uh, brash statements there. Calling out Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota, who thinks, uh, you know, he found the election to be okay. <laughs> it was okay. You know, I mean, it's uh, Senator, it was, uh, no, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, right? I mean, he's seeking re-election. Uh, he promised only to do two years. It's It's totally... PO'd, pissed off uh, the Democrats over there in Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, like I said, we actually aired a video of Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who uh, in undercover video uh, said that um, there was no election fraud in 2020 in Wisconsin. So I don't know, guys. I mean, someone should just ask him straightforward. I wonder if he'd say something different at that point. But uh, yeah. Uh, that's what he said. And, uh, we had it, we played it. I wonder if that video still exists. I think that would be interesting to note, ladies and gentlemen. All right, guys. So, uh, now Bradford, ah, and now he's gone. (laughs) Where did you go, Bradford? (laughs) I swear this Bradford. Oh yeah. There's Kemp. You guys, you guys, that is my favorite photo of Kemp, guys. Like my favorite photo. Uh, we'll 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 look at Kemp again. I mean, it just looks like the, it hurts the man to smile. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. So let's talk about uh, real quick updates on some election integrity stories. Uh, we have Bradford Raffensperger, Brad Raffensperger, the uh, Secretary of State from um, uh, Georgia, on the screen here. And uh, okay, so uh, basically, Brad Raffensperger has agreed, ladies and gentlemen, to open up an investigation into these allegations of ballot trafficking uh, that occurred in the state of Georgia. 
Um, now, as we recall, the ballot trafficking allegations come from the conservative organization. They're a, an election watchdog group called True the Vote, uh, who uh, basically uh, they ran. It's an ingenious investigation. Uh, I think I, I don't know. I don't know where they got the idea to do this. Actually, if I recall one of the articles I read, it had to do with the surveillance cameras uh, that were um, uh issued to be posted at all of the ballot drop-off boxes. Um, and when that came out, uh, because of course we had, uh, we had the Democrats fighting for the drop-off boxes, we had the conservatives fighting against it, and then we had Bradford, and uh, you know, we had Bradford and uh, the election commissions over there in Georgia fighting to get these drop-off boxes. They wanted them, okay? Uh, and so whenever the, uh, the idea of these came up, um, they, they said in their statement they would have surveillance cameras, and if I'm not mistaken, that is when True the Vote got the idea to do an investigation based on uh, based on the uh, based on the um, uh, sorry I got distracted by a comment in the uh, chat based on based on the surveillance cameras so uh, real quick Hanja over there at uh, Twitch says are you aware that chat is set to sub only I am not thank you Hanja um, and thank you I, I guess you're a subscriber also I had no idea I'm real you know I don't know too much about that Twitch platform I'm, I will change that up Hanja because I really don't mind having um, you know non-subscribers in the chat so after tonight's show I will go search out those settings and I will uh, see if I can't get that fixed uh, feel free to subscribe to the show, though, if you'd like, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that information, Hansa. I appreciate you uh, clarifying. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, but all right. Thank you so much. Okay, cool. So uh, this, this uh, investigation uh, we see going on here in Georgia. Now, you know, uh, Brad says they've done so many investigations over in Georgia and, uh, you know, the elections were, you know, fair and they were secure and uh, uh, they will admit that there was some mismanagement and they will admit that, uh, you know, some of the people didn't uh, do their jobs to the best of their ability. Uh, but as far as fraud or anything like that, no, sir. He certified a clean election according to his standards and, uh, you know, was even rated to be uh, the most secure um, uh, election in 2020 by, uh, you know, these uh, fake government offices and uh, stuff like that. But uh, Justin News reports that Raffensperger said his office is considering asking the state elections board to issue subpoenas as uh, to secure evidence such as the names of those suspected in the ballot trafficking scheme that has been presented to them by True the Vote. Um, now, uh, what really is causing them to really, really peer into this and really open up this investigation, because we have to keep in mind, this investigation by True the Vote was given over to the office of Governor Kemp, right? Um, and uh, he turned it over to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, and they decided to, there was nothing, there's nothing that backed up the allegations, is basically what his office said. Uh, but when True the Vote brought their information to Bradford Raffensperger um, just last month, uh, there were also allegations that included um, a testimony from a whistleblower, 
so that caught Bradford's attention, and I think it's because of that he has decided to open up an investigation. Because if you got a whistleblower, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> basically your neck is on the line, right? So uh, it says that the group said in its complaint it temporarily secured the cooperation of one person identified in the complaint as John Doe, who admitted he uh, participated in extensive ballot harvesting during the November 2020 election and January 5th runoffs and was paid $10 for each ballot he collected from a voter and delivered to a box. The man did not appear to understand his harvesting activities were illegal, but his participation was verified by his repeated appearance on the surveillance tapes, the group said. Um, now, um, True the Vote did say this in its complaint. John Doe described a network of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, that worked together to facilitate a ballot trafficking scheme in Georgia. John Doe's assignment included collecting ballots, both from voters in targeted neighborhoods and from NGOs that had their own ballot collection process, delivering those ballots to other NGOs, picking up designated ballot bundles from the same group of NGOs and depositing ballots into drop boxes spanning six counties in the metro Atlanta area. That, ladies and gentlemen, that's a bit more information than we had last week on this. Now, uh, as I recall, when the True the Vote story first broke, uh, they had mentioned something about, uh, you know, uh, several of these traffickers going to like post offices, uh, to the ballot drop off centers and to NGOs, non-government organizations. So we're probably talking about uh, 501c3 type organizations or probably talking about, uh, you know, um, uh, organizations that are tax-free and stuff like that. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if this is indeed true, and I believe it is, uh, but if the uh, investigation as being headed up by Bradford Raffensperger does indeed find this to be accurate, um, we're, we're set to open up a whole nother can of worms, ladies and gentlemen, because at this point, not only will they have what, it was like 250, 60, 70. They had like, uh, that num that many people involved in this ballot trafficking scam. Again, they're getting paid $10 per ballot and the average payout for the job done from, uh, you know, election day, uh, I mean, yeah, from, uh, from the first election all the way through the runoff was, uh, was $45,000, $45,000. Okay. So that's a lot of ballots and that's 249 different people who are participating or who were hired, uh, to, uh, participate in this, uh, scam, in this fraud, uh, in this illegal activity. And, uh, so, you know, if, if, uh, if they do have the NGOs, the, uh, non-governmental organizations and names on hand, I'm really curious to know exactly who these organizations are. Uh, do they have a political leaning, for example? Uh, do they happen to be uh, progressive or liberal or Democrat? Uh, so that stand that stands to blow a whole nother level of fraud and uh, conspiracy open, ladies and gentlemen. And maybe, 
because you guys know, I just, I can't help but speculate sometimes. Maybe it will, uh, it will uh, help us connect the dots or it'll help, you know, help the, the three letter agencies connect the dots easier, you know, between, uh, between what's happening in Georgia with this trafficking of ballots and those involved. And uh, if we get some Democrat NGOs, you know, in there also, ladies and gentlemen, it, it's just going to help connect the dots uh, to all of the other types of fraud that were happening around the country. I have no doubt, you know, because this, this whole fraud of 2020 smells like a Rico case, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it smells like Rico so bad, you know, it's across interstate lines, you know, it, it could damn well be international, but for sure, we have a bunch of individuals working together to, uh, to uh, you know, profit and then also control elections. Uh, it could be indeed very exciting, guys. So that's some good information to have. And um, yeah, well, so there you have it in that regard. Uh, looks like we're back on over at the Foxhole. So that's actually quite beautiful. Welcome back, guys. Uh, thank you again for your donations, Sean Joe and Railanon. And uh, yeah, Tam Growl in the audience uh, is bringing up some of those fine points. No, Tam Growl, don't you know that that was an urban legend? And it says, uh, it says here, uh, suitcases under table is ballot trafficking. Don't forget Yep, yep, yep. That's a part of it as well. And we have not forgotten that here, Tam Grau. But of course, Brad Raffensperger said, uh, in the face of video evidence, uh, Brad Raffensperger has called that an urban legend, ma'am. Uh, so don't tell that to Brad Raffensperger because he might say that uh, you uh, believe in uh, urban legends and are just superstitious. And then, of course, we have uh, we have Ruby and Shay admitting to it. I mean, come on, says Tam Growl. You know, Tam Growl, those were the very reasons why I initially said we could um, actually have decertified Georgia many a moon ago uh, because the activities that were recorded there alone are enough to cause a lack of confidence in one's election and uh, at least should be investigated prior to certification. Or at least, you know, should do some type of uh, some type of, uh, you know, some type of communication to the people. So as to at least save face that uh, that is not what they saw. And uh, Dina Tamgrel's on fire right now with uh, with a lot of points. As far as these ballot traffickers go and their payout of $54,000, I wonder how much of that money is from the uh, Center for Tech and Civic Life and, you know, uh, Zuckerbucks, as they call them. And of course, they were in many states, not just in Georgia. So anyhow, as we're looking into this investigation with uh, the ballot trafficking situation in Georgia, and we have Bradford opening up a case, uh, we see from this article over at Just the News that uh, uh, Georgia ballot harvesting probe starts. Some election evidence has already vanished, ladies and gentlemen. So a uh, good way to get it going, Brad Raffensperger. I don't know what that is playing on the screen, but we're going to pause that in just a minute. Um, did we pause it? No, 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 no. Let's pause that. Breaking news. Brad Raffensperger loses election 2020 uh, records. Uh, so let's let's take a brief spin on this. Now, this is what we could have expected, guys. 
just like when um, Garland Favorito and uh, Voter GA were trying to get to look at the ballots themselves and they're told they have to wait. And then that weekend, the warehouse that houses the ballots gets broken into and the cameras mysteriously disappear. You gotta know that in uh, Georgia, they fix their problems and uh, they do it by getting rid of evidence, I'm sure. Now, uh, this article from Justin News says, since 1960, federal civil rights law has required state and local election officials to retain and preserve records relating to elections involving federal office holders for 22 months after the ballots are cast. That would seem to be a good thing as Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger embarks on an investigation into whether third-party liberal activists in 2020 illegally gathered and delivered absentee ballots for voters, a practice known as harvesting that is outlawed in the Peach State. But some of Georgia's largest counties tell just the news that they no longer possess evidence that could be helpful to probing the harvesting allegations. Video camera surveillance footage that monitored the drop boxes installed around Georgia to help voters cast their ballots during the pandemic. All right, that's pretty bad. Uh, the article goes on to say election officials in several counties say the reason they discarded the footage is that the emergency rules issued by the state elections board said they only needed to keep the footage for 30 days after the election. We took direction from the Secretary of State and the State Election Board, assuming they were not implementing a rule contrary to law, said the Cobb County Elections Office, which acknowledged it deleted its video footage from 2020. Drop boxes were established under an emergency order from the governor. Fulton County, home to Atlanta and the state's largest voting metropolis, said it too has long since deleted the files. Uh, Regina Waller, a spokeswoman uh, for uh, the uh, Fulton County area, says, I was informed that videos were only required to be kept for 30 days post-election. Please see bullet point five of the attached SEB rule regarding elections in Georgia. DeKalb County, a Democrat stronghold just north and west of Atlanta, told Just the News it believes it may still have retained video footage, and it would be available via open records request. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. They have done lost their evidence. Uh, I, I mean, you know, that's the whole thing about it. When you have, of course... These uh, uh, commissions and these boards of, uh, you know, uh, officials changing up the rules. Heck, even the secretary of state, heck, even the office of the governor changing up election rules. There's and there is a reason there is a reason why only the legislative body can uh, can change election laws. OK, and it's like that in pretty much all 50, um, because after all, that is uh, that is something that is uh, relegated back to the states and to state power is uh, to be able to control their own elections. It's not given to the federal and it's not something that is uh, just brought into power by whomever it is that is, uh, you know, governing or in charge. It is something that needs to go through a legislative process. Ladies and gentlemen, so, um, well, we'll see how that goes, ladies and gentlemen, in regard to uh, this um, investigation. Now, again, um, True the Vote 
they garnered all of their video uh, about a year ago. Like basically, uh, like as I said, uh, when uh, it was it was um, when it was decided that video footage would be had of these drop boxes, they jumped on it and uh, they uh, acquired uh, the surveillance uh, footage as well as geolocation data uh, in order to put this um, investigation together to begin with. Uh, but, you know, we've mentioned Brian Kemp, of course, uh, having having already received the information about, uh, you know, the ballot trafficking in Georgia. <laughs> like I said, this is my favorite photo of Kemp because uh, he just looks like it hurts to smile. Look at that. He's like either that or he's just miserable because he knows what kind of a uh, treasonous, uh, you know, uh, um, um, uh, jerk that he is. Uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, you're, he's like, you shouldn't love me, <laughs> Georgia. You shouldn't love me. You have no idea what I've done to you. Uh, but, uh, like, as I mentioned, Brian Kemp did receive information from true the vote about this ballot trafficking issue. So the question is, why did he do nothing about it? Um, now, uh, the gateway pundit reports that, um, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations also at the same time as Kemp had received this information and uh, they they sent over a response to uh, to um, to true uh, the vote, uh, basically in regards to the reasons why that they didn't. Now, uh, basically what we have here is we have um, a situation where. Uh, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, which, by the way, is primarily this isn't the reason why I wouldn't trust them. But you don't want an investigation like this being run in house, per se. You want a third party doing it, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want some member of the same uh, government, the Georgia government, trying to investigate this. And not to mention that as uh, as all the offices in the Georgia State House and government are staffed by Happy Faces, which is owned in part by Stacey Abrams. You know she's got her people working in the Georgia Bureau of Investigations also, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but let me see if I have a, a note on their response here. Uh, this is what this is a, a letter that they told to uh, True the Vote in regards to uh, why they're not moving forward with their investigation. Let's take a look at that. Now, this is from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. It's dated September 30th, 2021. It says, uh, I've had the opportunity to review and discuss with agents and experts the information you provided at the meeting you requested a few months back. Additionally, this week, Assistant Director John Melvin and I met with the FBI to review the entirety of their case file, which consisted of a mirrored image of the hard drive purportedly from Texas, that had been turned over to them. The mirrored hard drive contained the contents of commercially available cell site location information, which, according to our discussion, True the Vote purchased for the time frame of October 1, 2020 through January 5, 2021. Someone had culled down the 25 terabytes of information, representing 1.2 trillion mobile signals, to provide spreadsheets under the following headings. And uh, this just, uh, those are their headings. Uh, this says here, appears to be associated actors. So this is, uh, all of that information is, um, is basically the uh, drop boxes and, uh, you know, the people involved and stuff like that. 
Now it says here, specific to the Georgia election, the file Georgia Devices of Interest is a spreadsheet listing approximately 1,048,575 mobile device identification numbers and their geolocation from October 1 through January 5. And it concludes here. Of those data points, the spreadsheets identified 279 cell phones which had made multiple trips to within 100 feet of the voter drop box. Other spreadsheets and documents provided tie these cell phones through geolocation to various organizations. What has not been provided is any other kind of evidence that ties these cell phones to ballot harvesting. For example, there are no statements of witnesses and no names of any potential defendants to interview. Saliently, it has been stated that there is a source that can validate ballot harvesting despite repeated requests that source has not been provided to either the GBI or the FBI as it exists, the data, while curious, does not rise to the level of probable cause that a crime has been committed. For the GBI to get the same CSLI information you provided, we would need to obtain a search warrant based on such probable cause. We cannot make that showing with what has been provided. As such, based on what has been provided and what has, been not, what has not been provided, an investigation is not justified. So, ladies and gentlemen, they've been given data that shows 279 cell phones made multiple trips. And uh, if you guys have seen the, uh, the, the maps where they actually draw out the course of these, uh, these um, cell phones, uh, you know, it shows them going, you know, in, uh, in, in um, a pattern, uh, for lack of a better word, and according to them, within 100 feet of a drop box, okay? Uh, I mean, my question would be, certainly, why would even one of those uh, tracking trackers, those pinged cell phone tracking geolocation, why would even one be making multiple trips to within 100 yards of a drop box, you know? Um, so basically they said, you didn't give us enough information. There's no one here that's complaining. There's no witnesses. So we can't open an investigation. Okay. So, I mean, well played GBI, uh, government of Georgia and FBI. So they sent this response also to the Atlanta journal constitution. Now, here's something that Kemp did that was rather untoward, okay? And it's actually quite, uh, it's quite symptomatic of the way that the left and the Democrats tend to do things when it comes to investigations. They leaked, ladies and gentlemen. So, True the Vote sends this over to, you know, Governor's Office and to the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigations. Once they decide not to do an investigation, they send all of the information that True the Vote gave them to... The mainstream press, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, now I understand why a few months ago I was seeing negative, I was seeing negative articles on True the Vote. And I was like, I guess they're killing the investigation. And uh, it went away. And I was like, okay, well, I guess nothing else is going to happen here. Uh, but according to the Gateway Pundit, uh, it says that uh, Kemp's GBI, uh, Kemp and the GBI released private and sensitive information on the operation, the investigation. It was still an ongoing investigation to the press. Uh, so um, we have um, the BOP law firm 
uh, who represents True the Vote. Uh, they responded to Georgia Governor Kemp's re- uh, response, this one, um, and uh, Kemp's GBI shared information provided by True the Vote to the press that was not forthright. Um, so basically, they didn't give the press accurate information. And they also withheld some information from the press. So that also uh, makes you think, you know, they they probably didn't want this investigation to prove anything or to uh, or to have to reap any type of fruit. Um, but uh, in the letter from the uh, True the Vote and their representation, uh, we see that uh, they're coming down on the GBI and Kemp for the misinformation. Uh, given to the press. And then after that, they demonize True the Vote and they demonize this investigation altogether. Um, But here's the interesting thing. When this letter says that they didn't get specific information, they didn't get names, they didn't get names of organizations, as it turns out, True the Vote actually withheld that information on purpose because they were afraid that that information would get leaked and it would further hinder the investigation um, and they didn't want it uh, they didn't want the story to get so slanted and crosswise that it just totally uh, you know blew a hole in what they were trying to do uh, so what I have for you now here ladies and gentlemen is the letter from the Bop Law Firm which represents True the Vote to uh, Brian Kemp it says the firm represents uh, True the Vote Incorporated we are writing to respond to the letter referenced above from uh, D. Victor Reynolds the director of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation this letter was subsequently released to the media we write you uh, we write to you to make you aware of the serious consequences that will result from this irresponsible and dangerous leak of confidential information for, uh, first, this letter contains information that was provided confidentially to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It should never have been taken from the FBI files and publicly released. Our client knows that the information in the letter came from sources at the FBI because it specifically discloses information from confidential source files. This action will have reverberations that reach far beyond Georgia and far beyond the matter referenced in Director Reynolds' letter. Second, the letter mischaracterized and selectively omits the evidence that True the Vote provided in a confidential meeting attended by representatives of your office and representatives of the GBI, including the author of the letter in question, GBI Director D. Victor Reynolds, The letter appears designed to minimize activities that Georgia law enforcement officials failed to detect. Third, the letter acknowledges that True the Vote's preliminary data analysis, as presented to your office in April of 2021, provided evidence that 279 cell phones had made multiple trips to within 100 feet of a voter drop box during the 2020 general election and U.S. Senate runoff election periods. Despite characterizing this data as curious, GBI Director Reynolds claimed such evidence could not rise to the level of probable cause. Fourth, this uh, preliminary uh, data first provided to the FBI in March has been augmented by True the Vote's further data analysis, voter drop box surveillance video, chain of custody documents, and other critical corroborating evidence. Notably, Director Reynolds refused to meet with representatives of True the Vote after April of 2021 so that he could supplement the preliminary data he found so curious. 
What is actually curious is Director Reynolds' legal analysis on probable cause, as similar information has been found to provide probable cause leading to indictments related to election crimes in other states. Curiouser still is Director Reynolds' repeated communication to the True the Votes representatives, stating that he had no jurisdiction to investigate or address these potential election crimes, even if given what he deemed sufficient probable cause. As you know, True the Vote has refrained from revealing the names of individuals who gave information, in part because of the highly sensitive nature of their disclosures and the physical danger to those individuals if exposed. True the Vote was concerned that despite your offices and the GBI's promises of confidentiality, that the identities of those involved would be leaked. These concerns have been confirmed by the leak of the GBI letter to the media. In light of the serious nature of the leak and the likelihood of litigation arising from Director Reynolds' letter, we request that your office, the GBI, and any other recipient copied on this letter preserve all correspondence, whether verbal and written, related to this matter. Those records would include, but are not limited to, emails, texts, letters, call logs, meeting logs, other written audio, other written audio or digital communications, with all metadata intact. This preservation should include all of the aforementioned records since April 1, 2021, that contain the words True the Vote, TTV, GOP, OPSEC, Greg Phillips, Catherine Engelbrecht, David Schaefer, Joe Jensen, GBI, or FBI. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is, uh, they have put them on notice officially. Uh, but indeed, so, you know... Again, ladies and gentlemen, that is the MO, right? Um, that is the standard operating procedure of uh, the likes of, uh, you know, lib Democrat, liberal, whatever you want to call it, left-leaning. They leak the information so they can bust up the investigation in the press. And that is part of their wrap-up smear campaign. That's how they work. That is basically how they work uh, in, in that regard. So... That's pretty. That that was pretty. Um, what's intuitive of uh, those who are um, members and founders at True the Vote guys uh, to not release that information because then the next thing you know, anyone who's named will have a uh, you know a member of the GBI rolling up to their front doorstep, and there's no telling what could happen then. So they definitely have to protect their sources and particularly this uh, this whistleblower that has now since come out. But with this, with, with the actions of the GBI and Kemp's office, guys, I mean, rhinos, rhinos, rhinos. We've already talked about three of them so far. Mike Rounds and Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp, all rhinos. Um, and that right there, to me, is just, you know, more than enough evidence that they never care to do anything about election integrity. They never care to do any type of investigation. Um, so, you know, if it weren't for this whistleblower, I'm sure that Brad Raffensperger would also be, uh, you know, discounting this investigation. Uh, but we'll see what happens as we move forward. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get this man up here. Now we're going to talk a little bit, real quick, real quick update on Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen. That is uh, the honorable former Supreme Justice of Wisconsin, Mike Gableman. And I got to say, guys, you know, I like picking them funny pictures, but I just, you know, can you read the disgust on Mike Gableman's face? He's like, gah, these people are trying to steal elections in America, right? So <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, there's Mike Gableman, guys. 
Now, uh, what's going on in Wisconsin? Uh, when we last left off, Mike Gableman had issued a series of subpoenas. Uh, he's just sending out subpoenas left and right in Wisconsin. He's trying to uh, he's trying to get anyone hooked on that he can uh, as he seeks out information on what was going on in uh, in Wisconsin in the twenty twenty election. Now. The initial uh, subpoenas, the ones that we'll be talking about tonight, have to do with the Wisconsin Election Commission. Okay, and uh, he w- he subpoenaed um, he subpoenaed uh, the, uh, the the lead administrator administrator of the Wisconsin Election Commission. We won't talk about the other trouble that those uh, rascally rats on that commission are in right now. Uh, but basically, Megan Wolf, who uh, again was the uh, lead administrator for uh, the WEC was subpoenaed to go into his office and, you know, go in for a round of questioning. Now, it just so happens that his office is located on a strip mall, right? Uh, And so it's not like an official office, uh, or at least that's what they're saying. I mean, it's a temporary office where he's he's had it set up there. uh, So this way he can work out of it. And since it's not like a government building or it's not secure... Uh, Megan Wolf and apparently the um, apparently the AG of Wisconsin uh, found that this was unconstitutional and that Michael Gableman could not call Megan Wolf into his strip mall office for questioning in regards to this investigation. So they filed um, they filed an injunction or they wanted one, they, uh, they uh, tried to put a restraining order against the subpoena on the grounds that it was unconstitutional. So at this point, ladies and gentlemen, the judge has made a decision. Uh, it's as good as we're going to get at this point, guys, uh, until, um, you know, we see what else they decide to rule. It's the long game, guys. I mean, we could say that the wheels of justice move slowly, but it really is. It's, it's just... The long game. They push this stuff back as far as they can. And at this point, I'm pretty sure they're trying to get to that 22-month deadline when they can just offload everything that happened. Um, and then, of course, we'll have, what, primaries and all that stuff by then. They really, really, I, I think they were hoping that they could get through the primaries before, uh, you know, any of this stuff really came to a head. And I'm really hoping and praying that we can get all of this taken care of before, you know, we get into the first round of primaries uh, this year. So, Let's see. This is from the MacIver Institute with a quick update. Dane County Court denies injunction looking to stop Gableman subpoena. So that's good. Uh, you know, apparently this judge has decided that it is not unconstitutional for Megan Wolf to go to his strip mall office and be questioned. It says on Monday, a Dane County judge decided not to protect the Wisconsin Elections Commission from subpoenas concerning its role in the 2020 election, but she also warned investigators not to enforce those subpoenas either. Now, the reason why they say that is because uh, Gableman also subpoenaed uh, the mayor of Green Bay and uh, of, um, I think it was uh, Madison. Don't uh, Green Bay and Madison, I'm pretty sure. But he subpoenaed uh, two of the mayors of the Wisconsin Five, and uh, they chose not to attend or not to honor those subpoenas or obey them, however you want to put it. So uh, he was trying to get the sheriff to arrest him, okay? And he issued, like, he tried to get him to issue warrants. So I'm pretty sure that's why the judge said he can't enforce them because Gableman's not playing around. He's like, if you're not going to come into my office, you're going to go to jail. You're going to take a ride, right? 
Now, uh, it says uh, former Supreme Court Justice Mike Gableman is leading the investigation for the state assembly. This past fall, he issued 17 subpoenas to Madison Mayor. Oh, I was right. Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes Conway, Green Bay Mayor uh, Eric Genrich, Wisconsin Elections Commission Administrator Megan Wolf, and other public officials. The subpoenas were signed by Assemblyman Speaker Robin Voss. Um, and he says, uh, Gableman says, I requested information from the Wisconsin Elections Commission and certain clerks about election procedures and information they possessed. I issued subpoenas as I'm lawfully authorized to do as a part of my office's investigation as a function of legislative oversight. He pointed out that whatever he learned through the subpoenas could not be used against those individuals in court. Regardless, everyone refused to share any of the requested information with the investigation. WEC and its administrator, Megan Wolf, sued to block the subpoenas on October 21, 21 in Dane County Court. Um, and it says here, uh, you know, uh, some things from Gableman. Oh, and, and, and Robin Voss. Let's see what Robin Voss had to say. Now, here's another rhino, guys. Mr. Voss. It took a plane ride with President Trump to Alabama to get this guy to open up this investigation. It says, I never in my wildest dreams thought that we would see so much opposition from liberals, especially those funded by George Soros. What? You mean, is he trying to say he never thought that liberals funded by George Soros would give him that much opposition? Really? Anyways, uh, to fight against any attempt to get to the bottom of what happened in 2020. Oh, Voss, you are just way out of the loop and disconnected, sir. He's like, George Soros has always been my friend. <laughs> I didn't expect him to push back against me in my office. Uh, now it goes on. Uh, WEC's case was assigned to Dane County Judge Rhonda Lanford. She made two decisions on Monday, January 10, 2022. One for Wolf and one for Gableman, sort of. It says Gableman argued the case should not be dismissed because state law did not give WEC the authority to sue the legislature. Lanford decided the state law didn't did not prohibit it either. Dismissing the case outright would give unfettered power to the legislature, even when there are no there are constitutional implications. Finding no standing for the plaintiffs uh, to bring these claims would insulate or immunize constitutional challenges from this court's review, Lanford decided. On the other hand, the judge denied Wolf and WEC's request for a temporary injunction to block the subpoenas because they couldn't explain how it would harm them. Plaintiffs have not shown irreparable injury, an inadequate remedy at law, or preservation of the status quo, elements necessary for the courts to consider in deciding whether to grant a temporary injunction, Lanford said. However, even though Judge Lanford denied the temporary injunction, the case is still open, and Gableman didn't exactly get a green light to go ahead with the subpoenas. Um, Lanford added, should Gableman seek to enforce the subpoenas before this case is decided on the merits through contempt, imprisonment, or other means, plaintiffs can certainly file another motion for temporary injunction that the court will schedule as soon as its calendar permits, at which point they would presumably have an example of injury. And there is uh, the docket or the, the document. We're not going to look at that, obviously. But that's why I say it's the long game, guys. It's the long game. And, and regardless of whose side Judge Lanford is on, um, it's the long game. I mean, they're going to push this back as far as they can. So Gableman cannot move forward with the subpoenas or enforcing them. And at the same time, you know, uh, they could go in for, they, I mean, at this point, you would think Megan Wolf would have to go in for questioning, but uh, they could 
just not do it because he can't enforce them anyway. So apparently uh, she's got more decisions to make this judge because the case is still open. Oh, goodness, the long game, guys. Talk about testing our patience, right? And testing our faith. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, we're here to stay here and uh, get this done real quick. So uh, good evening over there in... uh, in uh, Foxhole, we got uh, everyone still hanging out, and looks like we're joined by uh, Khaleesi2020, Pilled by the Rabbit. Good evening, friends. How are y'all doing? Glad you guys could join us tonight. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. Hey, Aurelius Locke, how are you doing? Persnick, hello, hello. Tam Grell, thank you for the can. Much appreciated, ma'am. So appreciated. All right, guys, let's jump into Ghislaine Maxwell. Quick update. Uh, Coming in about Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, okay, as you guys might have heard, we have a situation where the um, jury, uh, members of the jury, have spoken to the press. And in doing so, two of them, one anonymously, has revealed that uh, they suffered from sexual abuse. Uh, So, of course, the defense uh, for Ghislaine Maxwell uh, jumped onto this, okay, because uh, they feel that, um, you know, this totally stymies their uh, judgment on the case. And, you know, perhaps it's because of their past uh, experiences. Uh, They were going to convict Ghislaine Maxwell either way, right, because they're going to sympathize with the victims and the likes. So, now we're looking at the possibility of a mistrial. That's what has been said in this regard. But interesting enough, ladies and gentlemen, there was, uh, there was actually, it seems like a moment of truth has come out here. Um, and we have a report from the Business Insider about some of the, uh, the back and forth, the inner workings of what was going on between the jurors and the judge. Now, the judge you know, has made a lot of interesting, you know, points of turn, you know, she, it's, it's, I mean, as for whatever this judge is, like, it's, it, this is a weird one to peg, right? Like, uh, you know, she said so many interesting and, and weird things. Here's some, here's something else she said. Nothing is coming to my mind other than like what, uh, you need to, uh, you need to make a decision fast because COVID's coming and stuff like that. But, um, the judge presiding over Maxwell's trial, and that is Judge uh, Allison Nathan, actually told the jurors, according to the Business Insider, that the jurors needed to listen to the opinions of fellow jurors and to draw upon their experiences in deciding whether to convict Jeffrey Epstein's ex-girlfriend on sex trafficking charges. So the judge literally told them, you can draw on your own past experiences. Uh, It's just weird how this back and forth, this kind of play happens uh, in this case. So here you have Scotty David. uh, That is the one juror who we know of by name. And he told The Independent and Reuters that his experience about his experience as a survivor of sexual abuse. Then we had a second an, a second anonymous juror had told the New York Times that they had been sexually abused as a child. Okay, so we have that coming out now. Now, when U.S. District Judge Allison Nathan instructed the jury to decide the case, she made it clear that it was okay to bring such personal experiences into the jury deliberation room. 
Uh, Nathan said, there's no magic formula by which you can evaluate testimony and that jurors should use common sense, judgment, and experience to determine whether they believe the witnesses uh, brought to, uh, whether they believed the witnesses brought to testify at the trial. Uh, Judge Nathan went on to say, as you deliberate, please listen to the opinions of your fellow jurors and ask for an opportunity to express your own views. Every juror should be heard. No one juror should hold center stage in the jury room and no one juror should control or monopolize the deliberations. Uh, these instructions to jurors were standard, according to retired federal judge Stephen T. Brown, who now teaches a course of jury selection at Florida State University College of Law. Brown told The Insider on Monday that any grounds for mistrial in Maxwell's case will focus on whether the two jurors who spoke to the media lied on their juror questionnaire. So that's what they're going to have to look at now. Okay, now according to... Uh, interview transcripts between Judge Nathan and the jurors, you know, as they go in for their their second round, I guess, after they've been they've made it through the uh, through the um, through the questionnaire, the jurors questionnaire, you know, then they go in for uh, they go in for an interview. Uh, so according to interview transcripts, they do show that Judge Nathan did ask some of the jurors follow up questions about sexual abuse. OK, and their experiences. However, in the case of uh, in the case of this um, this da Scotty David guy, it shows that Judge Nathan did not ask him any questions about his previous experiences with uh, with uh, a sexual abuse. So, kind of what they're deducing from there is that on the questionnaire that he filled out, that he put no, he'd never been a victim of sexual abuse. If that is what the question was, however that question is framed, apparently they're, they're speculating he put no. And indeed, if I recall from one of the articles that we read last week about this matter, um, he had said that he had, he had skimmed through or, you know, he, he did a fast read through of the juror questions. So he didn't even remember if there was a question in regards to sexual abuse on that questionnaire. We'll have to see what happens there, ladies and gentlemen. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've heard a lot of things. We're, okay, we can't speculate, Mr. C. We can't speculate. I've heard a lot of interesting things like uh, this whole uh, issue with the, uh, the jurors being in question, you know, um, if they call a mistrial uh, and then they have to go to trial again. And then we don't know what the outcome of that would be, but, uh, but that this is providing cover for Ghislaine Maxwell to uh, sing like a birdie so that this way, so that this way, uh, you know, she, um, she doesn't have to put her life on the line uh, for that. But that speculation you didn't, uh, don't quote me on that one. Okay. All right. Okay. I just, you know, uh, we're coloring things up a little bit tonight. Here is the man they call Alan Dershowitz. So uh, he's going to start to come into the spotlight, ladies and gentlemen, as we move forward. As we move away from Ghislaine Maxwell and we move more towards the Virginia Roberts Jufree case versus Prince Andrew and also Alan Dershowitz. Now, as uh, some of us may know, Alan Dershowitz was a former uh, attorney for Jeffrey Epstein. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, he was also his lawyer that helped him get that sweetheart deal in his previous conviction. Uh, so Alan Dershowitz, guys... Um, we all know his name appears in the Black Book as well as on uh, Lolita Express flight logs. 
And uh, in regards to uh, Virginia Roberts Jufree, uh, well, let's see what happened here. Virginia Roberts Jufree claims that um, he, uh, she was given over to Alan Dershowitz for uh, sexual activity, child rape, right? And this is at the age of 16 is what uh, uh, Jufree is claiming with Dershowitz. Uh, of course, Dershowitz has said, you know, she's lying. It's not true. It never happened. And uh, he's, uh, he's called her a liar. And uh, he said publicly and in the press that she basically is trying to make money off of him. Now, because of that, she has sued him for defamation. Okay. So uh, that's pretty much the crux of what's going on with Dershowitz. And uh, they're still moving forward with that trial from what it looks like. Interesting enough, before we jump into Alan Dershowitz's trial, uh, it appears that um, apparently Alan Dershowitz might have actually lobbied President Trump to pardon Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, I was like, really? This is an interesting, uh, interesting story. Uh, what a concept, right? So, uh, of course, at the end of uh, the first term for President Trump, you know, he was issuing, uh, he was issuing pardons, and uh, Dershowitz was talking in the ear of President Trump. Now, how would that have looked, ladies and gentlemen? Had uh, something like the had Dershowitz been successful, right? That would have been I don't know why I would have thought about that. I'm pretty sure uh, President Trump would have lost support from every respectable conservative and uh, pro America, America first, uh, America loving patriot, human being, uh, brother, sister, man, woman. Okay, this uh, this article comes from the New York Post. Alan Dershowitz reportedly lobbied Trump to pardon Ghislaine Maxwell before trial. It goes on to say here, former Jeffrey Epstein attorney Alan Dershowitz lobbied then-President Donald Trump to pardon Madam Ghislaine Maxwell before she could face trial, according to the report. The 83-year-old lawyer, himself long accused of having sex with one of the late pedophile Epstein's teen accusers, pushed for the pardon after UK media heiress Maxwell was arrested in July 2020, for the sex trafficking crimes she was convicted of last month, the Times of London said. Uh, the retired Harvard law professor was able to use uh, his close ties to Trump, whom he also represented during his impeachment trial, the paper said. One of the convicted madam's brothers, Ian Maxwell, 65, confirmed to the UK paper that he had discussed the possibility of clemency with Dershowitz, who got Epstein his controversial wrist slap 2008 plea deal on sex, sex offenses with underage girls. You dirty man, Dershowitz. You're a dirty, dirty man. Uh, let's see here. Ian Maxwell told the UK Times there was one phone call between Professor Dershowitz and a family member during which uh, the generic issue of pardons was touched on. However, he insisted his family, heirs of late, disgraced media baron Robert Maxwell, did not pay Dershowitz or explicitly ask him to raise the matter with Trump. And there's a photo of Ghislaine. Biographer Michael Wolff also claimed in his book Landslide, a book about Trump's final days in office, that the then president discussed the possibility of pardoning Maxwell. Trump, one of many high profile people who had socialized with Maxwell and Epstein. It's just interesting how, you know, every single 
news agency out there just has to draw on that point. And it's not something that, you know, oh, we as uh, uh, people who've supported President Trump want to keep silent. I mean, it's obvious there's photos, it's known, you know, but um, it just it it seems from statements like that, that uh, Trump socialized with them often, you know, uh, when there's probably what on record, I don't know, like three interactions, maybe. I mean, I'm sure there might have been more. I'm sure maybe there were business phone calls, but socializing uh, to me that that uh, to me that invokes the thoughts of, uh, you know, after hours types of activities, non-business related activities. I mean, you don't want to be in a business deal with uh, Jeffrey Epstein either way, if you catch my drift. But still, you know, we know that uh, we know that uh, Trump had, you know, kicked out and banned Epstein from Mar-a-Lago, for example. So I just, uh, I just don't understand why people, maybe it's, maybe it's for, for hits, counts, uh, clickbait. I don't know. Anyways. Okay. Back to the article. Let me get off of that. Um, let's see here. Uh, it says that, uh, Trump had showed a sudden interest in the madam during the pardoning period. Wolf said, there's a photo of president Trump. There's a photo again, of president Trump with Melania and Epstein and Ghislaine. Okay, and uh, let's see. Dershowitz declined to discuss his contact with Trump, the UK paper said. However, a source insisted that it would not be unreasonable to report that he had raised the Maxwell case with the then president. The paper wasn't able to reach Trump for comment. Okay, so uh, then it just uh, talks about that he has a uh, battle to clear his name of personal involvement and that uh, Virginia Roberts Jufree is going after him for defamation. And uh, that's where we go with that, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, Dershowitz has denied the allegations and sued Jufree for defamation, claiming she's a serial liar who used his name because he was famous. And then, of course, Prince Andrew repeatedly and repeatedly says he did not sleep with that woman. Okay. He did not have intercourse with that woman or uh, extramarital relations. All right, so the next piece of information on Dershowitz, ladies and gentlemen, has to do with uh, the man here who is adjacent to his photo. Now, that, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, Les Vexner, ladies and gentlemen. Les Vexner. You guys might be wondering what Mr. Les Vexner has to do with Alan Dershowitz. Now, uh, Les Vexner is what? The, uh, the creator, the owner of Victoria's Secrets, and apparently secrets, Victoria's secret. And apparently uh, they own a whole bunch of other things. I think like Bath and Body Works and uh, Express. I had no idea that they owned Express. But anyways, so apparently uh, what we're looking at here, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, Les Vexner in the sphere of Alan Dershowitz and his upcoming trials is that uh, he has deposed Les Vexner to be a part of his lawsuit against Virginia Dufresne. So this could be interesting. So that's what I'm saying, you know, with this entire, um, this entire uh, cast that's coming up with, you know, the Dufresne trials, you know, you got the prince, you know, you got uh, like a, a top lawyer. You have this uh, Victoria's Secret mogul, Les Vexner. You have all of these high-ranking people. You know, so I could I could personally only hope that that opens up some type of a doorway um, into uh, into uh, the Black Book or any of the others who were co-conspirators in 
the case of Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, from the Insider, it says here, Alan Dershowitz has deposed ex-Victoria's Secret mogul Leslie Vexner as part of his lawsuit against Epstein accuser Virginia Jufree. Let's see how juicy this is. Now, it says, Attorney Alan Dershowitz deposed former Victoria's Secret head Les Vexner as part of his lawsuit against Jeffrey Epstein accuser Virginia Jufree, new court documents show. Dershowitz, who also serves as a law professor at Harvard, is locked in a lengthy battle with Jufree, who has filed civil lawsuits against Epstein's estate, Ghislaine Maxwell, and Alan Dershowitz, alleging they were involved in sexual abuse against her as part of a sex trafficking operation. On January 4th, Dershowitz filed a motion asking to exceed the usual 10 deposition limit. According to court filings, a request that Dershowitz's legal team says Jufri is trying to stop in an attempt to stymie Professor Dershowitz in his ability to gather facts and prepare for trial. Uh, Professor Dershowitz notes that he relied upon plaintiff's prior stipulation in deciding which depositions to take to date. He has taken five, one of which, Vexner, was time-limited to one hour per the court's order, according to the documents. Vexner, who formerly served as CEO of L Brands, the parent company of Victoria's Secret, previously had ties to Disgraced Financier, a relationship that he said he regretted. Vexner employed Epstein uh, primarily as his money manager back in the late 1980s. Conflicting dates have been given to multiple publications, as pointed out by The Cut, and Vexner allowed Epstein to take an active role in L Brands, which owns Bath & Body Works, Express, and Victoria's Secret. Their connection extended to Epstein helping Vexner build a model town in Ohio, New York Magazine reported in 2002. Epstein also owns a townhouse in Manhattan that was previously owned by Vexner. Uh, Vexner said he completely severed all ties with Epstein 12 years ago. Dershowitz said in the motion that other witnesses he would call in his deposition uh, would be Jufri's former attorneys who represented her when she originally publicly accused Professor Dershowitz and simultaneously asserted extortionate claims against Mr. Vexner in private, the document said. Plaintiff Jufri has sued Professor Dershowitz for defamation over the claim that she conspired with her attorneys to publicly and falsely accuse him as part of a plot to extort Leslie Vexner, according to the motion. In a report by Bloomberg in November, ahead of the planned deposition, a lawyer for Vexner said it would be short because the billionaire fashion mogul would deny knowing Jufri. The lawyer also told Bloomberg that he feels his client was being used as a prop by Dershowitz's legal team. Representatives for the legal teams, Jufri, Dershowitz, and Vexner, respectively, did not immediately respond to the insider's request for comment. So how interesting, guys. So the plot thickens, and it seems like Vexner's like, I don't want nothing to do with this. But yeah, CJM61 points out, yes, Vexner sold a huge property to Epstein for... Did you, is that a dollar? Am I reading that right? <laughs> I'm going to have to look that one up. That's crazy. But yeah, I, you know, I, we've read about how Vexner helped him with property and stuff like that. But, you know, 12 years ago or not, I mean, there's no telling, uh, there's no telling at what point all of that stuff with Epstein is going on. Although according to his flight logs, uh, he was rather active in the mid to late nineties and the early two thousands, as far as, you know, uh, 
flight flight uh, flight records show guys so all right that's a quick update so now you guys know what we're looking at as far as uh you know alan dershowitz's case is going to trial and then uh, they're still deciding on that date for uh prince andrew since basically the judge was like uh yeah go into trial buddy all right guys let's jump into this now we're going to talk about Kazakhstan, ladies and gentlemen, since uh, it was uh, just previously in an uproar uh, the past, what, seven to eight days, the past week or so, since the 2nd of January. Up until about now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the country of Kazakhstan has been in an uproar and uh, there have been uh, protests, riots, death. Uh, you know, uh, things that we don't like to see per se. Uh, but let me expand this map I have on the screen real quick as we jump into Kazakhstan. Now, uh, you'll note Kazakhstan is uh, south of Russia and to the uh, northeast of China. So that's the border right there with China. Uh, Astana, that is the capital of the country. Now, Astana actually changed the name so it's no longer called Astana. It is actually called uh, Nur uh, Sultan. Nur Sultan, which I think loosely translates to King of the North. Uh, but Nur Sultan is also the uh, first name of the previous president of, um, of um, uh, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Uh, let me see if I can get his full name up here on the top of my, the tip of my tongue for you guys. It was uh, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. That is the previous president. So I just wanted to show you this map so you get an idea. Now, that is the capital. Down here is Almaty. Now, Almaty is way down here, close to China. Now, now uh, while there were protests and riots going on throughout the country and actually... Most of the reports that I read or saw said they started in the western part of the country. Uh, we saw, at least as reported, the biggest protests and riots happening in Almaty, which happens to be the second largest city in Kazakhstan. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have seen Astana or, or Nur Sultan, as, if it, as it is now called. Uh, it is a breathtakingly beautiful city. Okay. And uh, has a lot of very interesting architecture there. Uh, also want to point out, though, the countries to the south of Kazakhstan. We've got Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India. So, you know, I think these countries right here from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan, I mean, those are countries, you know, we don't uh, hear about and or talk about and or, you know, we don't reference that a lot in, uh, you know, the news and the headlines as it goes. But when you have an entire country up in an uproar, uh, you can't help but take notice um, and wonder what the heck is going on over there, guys. So uh, just wanted to so we have an idea of where we'll be what we'll be talking about tonight and, and some of the lo the geography of it. We'll talk a lot of this happened in Almaty. Again, that city to the south. So, um, yeah, I got some, I got what they call some B footage to roll while we, uh, <laughs> while we talk a little bit about uh, Kazakhstan. So what, what happened in Kazakhstan this weekend or this past week? Um, basically, what we had is uh, riots starting on January 2nd 
protests um, beginning. Now, what has been touted as happening in Kazakhstan at the start of this is that uh, the people were upset because the price of energy, gas, all that stuff, uh, it doubled basically in price. Now, what I understand about Kazakhstan is we're looking at a um, we're looking at a kind of like a middle middle uh, country as far as uh, economics and uh, you know I guess the wealth. Uh, the people are not as wealthy there as you would think that they are because um, they have a huge uh, a huge oil industry. And they also, again, like I said earlier, they are the uh, second largest crypto mining um, area for for that type of business. I mean, I, how does one mine cryptos? I just, I, I cannot wrap my head around it. I thought, isn't that digital? Anyways, so uh, that's what we're hearing from the mainstream media. So, you know, we've heard about, like, take, for example, France, ladies and gentlemen. France had their uh, yellow vest uh, uprising and protests that was supposedly over higher prices, right? So that is where this has been framed. Now, um, while that is the narrative that we're hearing from the mainstream media, uh, what's coming out in other media outlets is that we have, uh, we have citizens who are claiming that they are tired of their corrupt government. So, you know, kind of the narrative that we hear from that is where it started with oil. Obviously, there's something else that's boiling on the undercurrents that came to arise. Um, and that is that they have a corrupt government. Uh, also, what I've heard from uh, some of the videos um, and footage that I've seen is that people have claimed that their elections were rigged in 2019. So this could be boiling up from that fact, ladies and gentlemen, and that they are tired of being ruled by a group of autocratic globalists and they want their country back. Um, the president of Kazakhstan currently is a man by the name of Kasim Jomart Tokiev, who's actually on the screen right now. Huh? That, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty synchronistic. Um, and uh, he has actually stated that all of the protesters, and there's tens of thousands of them, guys, he stated that all of the protesters are actually terrorists from other countries who are trained abroad and are seeking to undermine the government. Now, this sounds rather familiar, right? That sounds like the uh, that sounds like the standard operating procedures of any globalist, uh, you know, globalist-led government, right? Like, uh, you know, they're all terrorists, and uh, so we've got to uh, we've got to uh, take them out. And indeed, it seems like that was what they did. They called in Russia. Uh, to uh, and there we go. There's Putin on the screen right now. Uh, they called Russia um, to basically help them out uh, to quell and stymie the protests to get things under control. Because we're talking like January second through like the fourth or fifth. Uh, it was just all out. You know, they burned down mayor's offices. They burnt down um, uh, government buildings uh, and the likes. Um, so uh, things just kept on rolling that way. It got to the point, ladies and gentlemen, that the president of Kazakhstan gave the order to shoot to kill without warning. That bad, ladies and gentlemen. Now, when I hear something like that, and uh, I hear that the government is treating there are people who are protesting like that. Uh, it makes me think of like hardcore communist countries. It makes me think of like what was going on in Cuba 
this past summer, uh, where you saw footage coming out uh, before they cut off the internet. Now, incidentally, in Kazakhstan, they also, they cut the internet, they cut communications. Um, it just, it, the situation really seemed to boil out of control. Then, uh, as I said, uh, you know, uh, the uh, president of um, the president of uh, Kazakhstan brought in Russia. Uh, now, Russia came into Kazakhstan um, under the uh, under the I would say the permission of what is called the CSTO. OK, so the CSTO uh, which stands for uh, Collective Security Treaty Organization, they are actually um, they're actually basically like the NATO of um, Eastern Europe. Okay, it is a group of uh, it is a group of member nations uh, that form a uh, a military agreement. Okay, and uh, that those those nations include Russia, Armenia, Kazakhstan, uh, Kyr- Kyrgyzstan. Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and Belarus. Okay, so uh, they're a military alliance, basically, and uh, the deployment of Russian troops into Kazakhstan to assist President Tokiev in uh, getting these riots under control is the first time this organization has done anything like this. Okay, so you can imagine the world, and especially America, are standing back and watching what's going on here. And a lot of things could be said about that as well. You know, we have, uh, we have a lot of rhetoric and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, viewpoints and opinion coming out about Russia's involvement with this entire ordeal over there in, uh, in Kazakhstan. Uh, so that's that's uh, something to uh, that's something we're keeping an eye on, particularly since uh, we have this entire Ukraine situation going on as well. Now, on the fourth day of the riots, okay, um, basically what President Tokiev did is he he disbanded the entire cabinet, his his cabinet, his you know his officials. Um, he he dismissed them all, basically fired them. Um, he put a cap on gas prices, uh, other energy prices, and food prices, uh, because basically what started at this is they removed the cap on energy prices, and uh, you know if if energy costs extra money, you know everything else down the line is going to cost money. So he put a cap on energy prices again. Um, none of that worked to stop uh, stop the rioters and the protesters, the citizens of uh, Kazakhstan. Um, he then went as far as to remove from the head of the uh, Kazakhstan Security Council, uh, the former president, again, this man by the name of Nur Sultan uh, Naz- Nazabayev, okay. Currently, the affairs in Kazakhstan seem to be stabilizing. The country is still in martial law until January 19th, and uh, according to uh, a lot of the um, uh, articles and resources out there, as many of, as many as seven thousand protesters have been detained. Seven thousand protesters have been detained in Kazakhstan. So uh, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to show you guys uh, that that video I played was just for B-roll. I'm going to show you guys this video real quick. 
Um, and, uh, this is again, kind of, uh, this kind of like, um, summarizes what was going on with Kazakhstan talks a little bit about Russia, and then we'll get into some other things that, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like we're going on over there in uh, Kazakhstan. Um, this video, I'm, I may pause it because, uh, they have, um, footage of, uh, the citizens speaking and, um, you know, they have them talking about, the government of Kazakhstan and why the people are so upset. Um, but there's so it's like, there's so much stuff going on here, guys. Like, uh, you know, we have a talk about, um, we have, we have talks from both president, uh, um, uh, the president of Kazakhstan and also from Putin talking about colored revolutions, uh, talking about a possible coup that was going on here. Um, and, you know, it's a bunch of, a bunch of stuff, ladies and gentlemen, let's just say a bunch of stuff. Uh, but let me roll this one real quick. Let me move that over. Oh, we're already expanded. My bad. I do here. Okay. Let's get this rolling. Okay, here's an example of one of the citizens. So you have this lady here saying that she was disappointed in President. Uh, um, let me let me make sure I'm saying his name right. Um, President uh, Tokiev, 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 because he called them thugs, and she was like, "Well, we're not thugs or terrorists. We're citizens who are, you know, we're ticked off about our government." You know, let me, let's go and finish playing this. There's one more coming up, I think. Превратился в частное предприятие Назарбаевых. Все, что у нас в Казахстане есть стратегически важные места, да, все принадлежит семье Назарбаевых. И, конечно, ходу. Но когда он сказал, что он воюет против бандитов, он назвал нас бандитами. Против террористов. Мы не бандиты, мы не террористы, мы сами участники этого митинга. Но когда он вот это сказал, я глубоко в нем разочаровалась. Нам не нужен такой президент. Okay, and real quick, and uh, I'm I'm actually also kind of doing this for the podcast audience. That's why I'm pausing it to uh, to um, reiterate what the people were saying. That other lady said, um, "What we need to tell the world is that the only thing coming out of Kazakhstan is corruption," and uh, she said that the country has fallen to a corrupt uh, corrupt family, and it's become an enterprise for them. And here she's talking about the former president Nur Sultan. Um, let me get his name right. Nur Sultan. Uh, oh yeah, there we go. I'm just gonna like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight that so I can refer to it. Uh, Nur Sultan Nazar Nazarbayev. Okay. So um, before we finish this video, I'll point out some of the finer. Uh, points about their history. So, uh, you know, Kazakhstan was part of the, uh, the, the Soviet Union prior, I mean, obviously prior to it falling. Now, the former president, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, actually came into power in Kazakhstan in 1989. And after, uh, after um, you know, uh, after the Soviet Union uh, was broken up um, in 1991, he still carried on as the president of Kazakhstan. He was the president for 30 years or so, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, 1989 until 2019. So between 89 and 2019, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev 
was the president of Kazakhstan. Okay, it was considered a communist autocracy. And indeed, it seems like he has enriched his family uh, in that time. And uh, that is actually the point that a lot of the people that I've seen in videos and I've read in articles are making is that the reason why it boiled up over, like it was a powder keg that was waiting to go off because, again, these people were tired of this man being corrupt and stealing from the people and enriching his own family and, and apparently putting his own family members into office. There was a, a extreme nepotism. So this was boiling over. Um, you'll see, I think, in some upcoming interviews where they're referencing uh, like uh, crowds shouting things like, old man, go away. And of course, they're talking about that former president because he's now like 81 years old. So in 2019, uh, basically, um, they have an open election in their country. And that is when uh, the current president, again, his name is President Tokiev, that's when the current president is supposedly elected. Now, Tokiev is actually chosen by Nor Sultan, uh, Nor Sultan uh, uh, Nazarbayev. Nazarbayev is actually his chosen man. Uh, so uh, basically, he Nazarbayev stays in power. And uh, he becomes head of the, uh, the, the security, the National Security Council for Kazakhstan, which is said to be the actual true power of the country. So he never really leaves, you know, office, so to speak, this, uh, this Nazarbayev man. And, uh, you know, Tokiev is basically his mouthpiece or his puppet. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of the other history kind of, you know, that's shaping at least what looks like is going on here. But wait, there's more. So again, for the podcast, so again, for the podcast audience, that is, uh, that is uh, the Chinese government saying that they will not get involved and they believe that Kazakhstan can uh, return their country to normal social order on their own. We've seen the press reports. Uh, it's hard for us to, uh, to confirm them. But what is, um, what is clear is that all demonstrations uh, need to be peaceful. People have a right to express their grievances. It needs to be done peacefully. And security forces need to protect that right uh, and, and show and act with restraint. Uh, with the world will, of course, be watching for any violation of human rights and actions that may lay the predicate for the seizure of Kazakh institutions. And we call on the CSTO collective peacekeeping forces and law enforcement to uphold international human rights obligations in order to support a peaceful resolution.
Okay. Okay. So that's just kind of a brief summary uh, for those of you who are able to uh, scope that out about uh, what's going on over there. Now, okay. So, you know, and uh, Sean Joe. Uh, asks a very uh, uh, obvious question, I think, for most of us, which is, um, who knows who are good guys or bad guys over there? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part. And, you know, when we're talking about the Middle East, the, the Eastern Europe, or even the Middle East for that, guy, that, that rate, guys, like, it's, it's hard to kind of decipher. So, um, and I don't, I don't think that, you know, I don't think, We'll we'll never really know the full story until we know allegedly right what the full story is going on there. But uh, listening to some of the rhetoric, listening to some of the things that people are saying, and kind of looking at some of the history, um, I gotta wonder about some things. Okay, because again, the man on the screen, he is the current president. Okay, uh, Tokiev. So now, as part of trying to give the people what they wanted, he allegedly removed. The former president, again, that Nar- Nazar- Nazarbayev, they removed him, keeping in mind that he was, in fact, pulling the strings as the head of the National Security Council there in Kazakhstan. OK, so that's just one thing right now. Supposedly, Nazarbayev has relinquished power on his own. Um, but there have been that we've heard, we've heard, of course, when I heard or when I was watching these reports and President Tokiev says that all of these protesters are actually, uh, you know, from outside of the country and, you know, they're actually like, uh, you know, trained and, and I was like, that, this is kind of a stretch, right? Like what I was thinking is that the people were rising up against this globalist communist nation, right? That, and that's what you kind of hear from some of the people, okay? But then we're hearing from this man that, in fact, this is, uh, this is some kind of like a terrorist attack and they're trying to overthrow the country. So I'm like, well, that's kind of a stretch, right? If you have like tens, uh, almost hundreds of thousands of people coming out in the streets and, you know, you hear what some of these people are saying. So, you know, I was like, well, yeah, this, this is just a communist country that is uh, clamping down and violently ending an uprising. Kind of what I'm thinking, right? Um, but uh, let me see what we got here next for you guys. We got some articles coming up. Oh, yes. So uh, here we have this is an article from the Jerusalem Post headline says Kazakhstan says Islamist radicals played a role in this attack. And indeed, um, he has said that uh, they've defeated a coup attempt, a coup d'etat. And then also, of course, we hear Putin talking about colored revolutions and how they will not put up with that in uh, in their countries anymore. So it's just more of this interesting language. And actually, um, Putin blamed the West on what was going on in Kazakhstan. Uh, let's check out what this article says real quick from the Jerusalem Post. Kazakhstan said on Monday that foreign trained Islamist radicals were among those who had attacked government buildings and security forces last week and that police had now detained almost 8,000 people to bring the situation under control. Government buildings in several cities were briefly captured or torched last week. 
as initially peaceful protests against fuel prices increases became uh, fuel price increases became violent in the worst bout of violence in the Central Asian nations post Soviet history. Uh, President Kasim Jomart Tokiev sacked his cabinet, issued shoot-to-kill orders, and declared a state of emergency in the oil-rich nation of 19 million. He also asked Russian-led military bloc to send in troops, who the government says have since been deployed to safeguard strategic objects. Tokiev was due to take part in a video conference of the bloc's leaders at 700 GMT on Monday. Authorities on Monday said, um, for the first time, linked the violence to what they said were members of Islamist groups. Okay, so that's uh, interesting information. It says, as the events of Almaty and several other regions of the country have shown, Kazakhstan has been subjected to armed aggression by well-coordinated terrorist groups trained abroad, the foreign ministry said in a statement. According to a preliminary data... The attackers include individuals who have military combat zone experience in the ranks of radical Islamist groups. It did not name any specific groups. The National Security Committee said on Monday, an official day of mourning, that the situation had stabilized and that security forces had restored control. Karim Masimov, the committee's former head, was detained on suspicion of treason last week, days after Tokiev dismissed him. Uh, Russian and state media, citing a government social media post, have reported that 164 people had been killed. Health and police authorities did not confirm uh, that figure, and the original social media post has been deleted. I think there was some kind of conspiracy involving domestic and certain foreign destructive forces, Secretary of State Yerlin Karin said, uh, told state television on Monday, without naming any suspects. A former Kazakh prime minister told Reuters on Sunday that Tokiev must move fast to consolidate his grip after appearing to break with Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, his powerful predecessor. Okay, so again, guys, we're just going to be going through these articles and uh, we're going to do a couple of more videos uh, to get perspective. All right, we're not going to claim we know what's going on, but we're going to get some perspective. So uh, the guy on the screen, that is Nur Sultan Narzarbayev, all right, the former president who then turned head of security council and was pulling the strings of uh, President Tokiev. Now, according to that article, uh, one of the perspectives we're getting is that Tokiev has split with Nazarbayev, keeping in mind this communist dictator enriched his family, stole from the country, kind of sounds like Poroshenko from Ukraine, if you follow my drift, uh, because Poroshenko, who was the president of Ukraine prior to the populist um, President um, um, Zelensky uh, getting into office, did much the same thing. OK, as if you guys followed the Ukraine issue, as far as the politics were given over there, you know, you had Rudy Giuliani was also involved with that. And then you had uh, Burisma Holdings, which was involved and they were all enriching each other. Right. Poroshenko and all of them over in Ukraine. OK, not Lukashenko. That's a different country. We're talking about Poroshenko. OK, over in uh, Ukraine. And indeed, right now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, headlines say that they are actually um, they're actually uh they're actually um, taking back all of Poroshenko's stolen properties. Like uh, he's 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 uh, he's seeing his day of justice. It would seem over in Ukraine. Anyways, back to uh, back to Kazakhstan. So uh, 
this 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 former president or you know president behind pulling the strings um this is the man that the people wanted out of the country okay and they did not accept some of them at least did not accept the 2019 elections because they knew that president tokiev was his puppet all right but now it seems that there might be a possible split between tokiev and uh uh nazarbayev so um again it adds a little bit of spice to you know the, what we're seeing going on over there, like what is the big deal with what's going on, right? So uh, they mentioned the arrest of a man by the name of Karim Masimov. Okay, now Karim Masimov was a loyalist to uh, President Nazarbayev, um, and he was he was put into the place of na- on the National Security Committee or the KNB as they call it by uh, Nazarbayev. In fact, there were many many Nasserbayev loyalists in the cabinet of Tokiev. So, uh, you know, apparently uh, to- uh, Nasserbayev really never relinquished control of his country and uh, the people just were not having it. Um, let's check out this interview. Uh, it's a short one. It's not too long, but they talk a little bit about um, the detaining of this uh, Karim Masimov, okay? And they talk about, uh, you know, kind of the Russia interplay and then also what's going on with Tokiev. So I got, I got like this one and one other that we'll play and another article or two and we'll be done for the night, guys, as we kind of, uh, you know, surmise what we could be seeing over in, uh, U- uh, in Kazakhstan. Ooh, man, these countries, guys, let me tell you what. Bruce Panera is a Central Asia specialist. He's following the story for us, and he joins us now from Prague. So tell us first, Russia's role, how is that impacting this situation? Well, you know, the fact that that, uh, Russia, who ultimately, of course, is the head of this collective security treaty organization, agreed to send uh, what they're calling peacekeepers to, to Kazakhstan would certainly seem to be an indication that they're siding with the current president, Kasim uh, Jamar Takayev. So it gives him an extra support. You know, if, if there really is, this started out as, as a support, as a protest, you know, for socioeconomic reasons, but there's something else entirely going on here. Uh, and it looks like there's a struggle for some sort of struggle for power, you know, within the government. And with Russia agreeing for the first time ever to deploy CSTO troops to another country, that that seems to be a sign of support for the people who are in control of the situation right now. Yeah, especially given the the, the Soviet post-Soviet relations there. You mentioned about government uh, power struggle. We hear that Kazakhstan's National Security Committee chief uh, or former chief has been detained on suspicion of treason. What more can you tell us about that, about that development? Yeah, well, you know, obviously the fact that someone like that can be can be detained and about to be charged with treason is amazing. I mean, this is a two-time prime minister in the country, one of the secretary of state, uh, head of the presidential administration, and, and just only lately, you know, the head of the security service out there. Um, so uh, long-time Nazarbayev loyalist, uh, the first president of Kazakhstan, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, um, the fact that he is now under arrest uh, and facing serious, serious charges is an indication that, um, you know, the faction that some of the faction anyway, that's been loyal to President, first President Nazarbayev um, is in big trouble at the moment. Um, so, yeah. And, and what do we know about the protesters and their demands now? Where, where, where does this leave them? 
you know, well, this is there still are pro some protests going on around the country. You know, this started out again, as I mentioned, as peaceful protests about socioeconomic problems in the country and 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 lack of uh, ability to participate in politics. Some of those are still going on in the country. Unfortunately, um, this other situation that's been evolving uh, with the violence in the east and and you know the, the declaration of, of you know a red alert for terrorism across the country and everything. Um, you know, the, the protests that started this whole process um, seem to be the now the background to something much more serious within the halls of government. All right, journalist Bruce Punner bringing us the latest. Thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you soon. All right, get up. Oh, just in time. So hey, hey, Jane, we just barely caught that one. All right, so a little bit of perspective there um, on that. Uh, so... Okay, so the question to me here, guys, sorry, let me get this off the screen. The question that kind of comes to my mind is, uh, is Tokyev really separating from Nazarbayev? Is that just a story that we're hearing? Because uh, some people said that Nazarbayev fled the country. And then some people said that he was actually at the capital in North Sultan and that he was rallying the country to get behind Tokyev. Um now, as far as Russia is concerned, Russia actually, from what I read, a lot of their troops went to Nor Sultan um, or Astana, as it was called at the time. And um, they were there to secure all their buildings, make sure that there were no riots that happened in there. And that way it released uh, Kazakhstan's, uh, you know, um, uh, security forces to go into uh, places like Almaty and, you know, shoot to kill. Uh, you have to wonder, though, is this are we are we really were we really seeing like outside uh, uh, insurrectionists or terrorists coming into the country? And because I, I think I saw somewhere on I heard around the number of 20,000 of them were actually foreign people that they had detained or, uh, you know, a, a pretty big number like that. Um, so uh, let me see here. We'll have, we'll play this one. This video, they're talking about uh, an internal power struggle with the elite officials of the country. Uh, and again, this is again, just for, uh, this is again, just for perspective, guys. So let's go ahead and get this one a rolling. Let's, Let's bring, bring in journalist Ben Harris. He is the founder of the media company BNE Intellinews and has followed developments in Kazakhstan for more than a decade. A warm welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Um, the speed at which these demonstrations flared up and spread across the country is remarkable. We've now seen thousands of protesters arrested, thousands of mainly Russian troops sent into Kazakhstan. Uh, are President Tokayev and his government now back in control? Indeed, it's been extraordinary. This came out of left field. No one was expecting it. Kazakhstan has been long one of the most successful and stable of all the Central Asian countries. And yet um, the price hikes to fuel for cars at the weekend following a market reform um, caused riots, uh, caused demonstrations in the west of the country. And by Tuesday, that had spread across the whole country. And no one was expecting that. And then we saw unprecedented, huge demonstrations in Almaty, the commercial capital, tens of thousands of people on the streets, sort of reminiscent of Ukraine and Belarus. And it ran rapidly out of control. The president immediately sacked the government, tried to blame the ministers. Um, he reintroduced uh, subsidies for the fuel prices and actually took the price back to less than what they were last week. Um, and it didn't work. 
Um, and on Wednesday, it looked like um, the government had lost control of the situation. But on that night, they called in the Russians. And now I just talked to our correspondent again today in Almaty. Um, he was out and about and said most people have stayed at home. There's sporadic clashes, but, but nothing uh, on a large scale. And the city is calm and the government seems to be firmly in control. And we've also seen arrests and dismissals at the top of Kazakhstan's security architecture, uh, including the former security chief, Karim Masimov. Uh, how would you interpret that? Yeah, uh, there's a second story going on here because um, the politics in Kazakhstan are slightly complicated in so much as uh, Nazarbayev, the president, the former president, who's been in charge since 1991, since the beginning, um, he stepped down uh, in 2019 and handed over to the new president, Takayev. However, he didn't really step down. Uh, he remains in the background. He's the head of the National Security uh, Council. He also, his, his loyalists were in charge, Masimov, in charge of the security services. And in Eastern Europe in general, Central Asia in particular, whoever runs the security services is the seat of power. That's the tool you use to stay in power. And during the protests, the Takayev has used them opportunistically, it seems, to take full control of the, of the country. And so Masimov was sacked, Nazarbayev uh, was removed from the Security Council, and Takayev took over. And so now he's in charge. So you could actually read this actually as a coup of sorts, although the president stays in place, but he's taken full control. He's pushed Nazarbayev out completely. And this arrest is very significant because uh, Takayev has now put one of his own loyalists in charge of the security services. And that's the real power. Now he's really in, <clears throat> he's really in control of the country. Right, ben Aris, thank you so much for joining us on DW News with that update. All right. Now, wasn't that an interesting perspective, guys? So what, there's, what we're hearing here is that there was a coup attempt. All right. Now... We're hearing from President Tokayev that there was a coup attempt against him. From this journalist, we're hearing the perspective that there was a coup, but it wasn't your normal kind of coup. Apparently, what they're saying here is this Karim Masimov guy, who was the former head of you know, their, their security team, uh, who was uh, arrested under charges of treason, and they haven't released all of the details of those charges. What he, what, what has been said is that this Karim Masimov was, um, was organizing with outside influences on the country to overthrow Tokiev and then uh, be instilled as a president or have someone instilled as a president because Nazarbayev at this point is not going to come back and be the head president, because obviously he's 81. He's been pulling the strings from the National Security Council since he was installed. I mean, since uh, since he uh, he handed over power. And that's another thing that I find interesting about this, is that all of these reporters say that Nazarbayev stepped down and handed power over to Tokiev. But if you look at past uh, documentation through video footage or through, uh, you know, news feeds, you find that they actually had an election in 2019. And uh, that led to election protests because the people did not want Tokiev. And uh, uh, apparently even uh, election 
international election watchdogs had said that that was not an election, that it was a farce of an election and that it was it was it was fake. It was it was a rigged election, you know, and the people of Kazakhstan knew that. So I don't know why these people say that, you know, Tokyo was handed that authority. There was an election and there were candidates, uh, even though they were for the majority state selected candidates. Uh, that was still not the man that they wanted in Kazakhstan. So anyways, that's just a little piece of odd, you know, information about this communist country. But so you have, you have two coups going on here. So under the guy, okay, so under these riots that apparently, uh, you know, according to Tokiev, had to deal with this Masimov guy and, and the other people on this security council who were um, Nazarbayev loyalists. Okay, they were trying to overthrow the Tokiev government, even though he's the puppet of Nazarbayev. And while this is happening, Tokiev uses this opportunity to remove Nazarbayev permanently and to remove Nazarbayev's loyalists and then take total control of the country. Interesting, right? Now, let's talk a little about Russia because there's a lot of talk, particularly from our deep state department and the likes of Anthony Blinken, uh, who are talking about how, um, you know, Russia, you know, they're, they're saying things like, uh, you know, why is Russia going to be involved? They're like, well, you can get a Russian in, but, you know, the problem is getting Russia out of your country. Like, they're, they're totally trying to stoke all of this stuff with Russia. Russia's already said that, you know, they'll be out as soon as everything is stabilized. Um, and, uh, you know, even the people of Kazakhstan, uh, you know, like the officials there have acknowledged that uh, this is, again, part of like a military alliance between several, like it was like seven, six or seven countries in that region of uh, Eastern Europe. And, uh, you know, Tokiev calls up Putin and, uh, you know, so to speak, and asks for his assistance uh, under under the agreement of this treaty. It's the first time Russia's done it. Um, you know, uh, people are pe- people around the world, particularly the West, uh, don't like that this is going on. But the only thing that comes to my mind is that uh, this scenario plays out on my mind. And this is totally speculation, totally like uh, what do you call it? Totally like, um, what's the word, uh, you know, brainstorming type of activities. Could it be possible that Tokiev was trying to throw out this communist corrupt regime and under this agreement of the CSTO had Putin come in? Because as they said, this is the first time, uh, you know, Russia's done this. And this clearly tells the people of Kazakhstan, the government officials of Kazakhstan, all the countries in the CSTO and all of the countries in the region and worldwide that President Tokiev has the support of President Putin. Okay, knowing that President Putin is um, knowing that he is a uh, he is an enemy of deep state globalist elitist interests. Okay. Could it be that they were trying to clean out the Kazakhstan government, right, and get rid of this communist, probably globalist, elitist-backed individual? Um, it is, uh, I would say that's a fair assessment, possibly. Again, this is just a- amateur geopolitical, analytical stuff. Nothing to, uh, nothing to really write home about. But, you know, I mean, as we're trying to wrap our brain around this, I just always try and think there's President Tokyo again. I always just try and uh, place like, you know, the people who are, uh, the people who, you know, who are our friends because we have, you know, similar enemies, right? 
Now, President of Kazakhstan says he has weathered attempted coup d'etat. Kasim Jomart Tokiev said that order had now been restored in Kazakhstan, uh, but the hunt for the terrorists was ongoing. So again, this article talks to us about this idea that there were outside forces inside the country. And then again, we're hearing, we're hearing talk from uh, Putin about colored revolutions. Uh, could this have been part of an organized colored revolution? Uh, do they, did they have thousands and thousands of, uh, I don't know, migrants perhaps in their country that uh, were of the age of uh, military armed and fighting? And uh, they all like kind of spurred on uh, some of the violence during this. I'm sure that they will, uh, they will release any information. They said that they are going to release information on what they found. But uh, let's see what this article says. Nur Sultan, uh, Kazakh President uh, Kasim Jomart Tokiev said on Monday that his country had weathered an attempted coup d'etat coordinated by what he called a single center after the most violent unrest since the Soviet collapse. In a speech to an online meeting of the Russian-led CSTO military alliance by video link, Tokiev said that order had now been restored in Kazakhstan, but that the hunt for terrorists was ongoing. Under the guise of spontaneous protest, a wave of unrest broke out. It became clear that the main goal was to undermine the constitutional order and to seize power. We are talking about an attempted coup d'etat. Demonstrations against a fuel price rise began just over a week ago before erupting into a wider protest against Tokiev's government and the man he replaced as president, 81-year-old Nursultan Nazarbayev. The main blow was directed against the city of Almaty. The fall of the city would have paved the way for a takeover of the densely populated south and then the whole country, he said. Then they planned to seize the capital. Tokiev said that a large-scale counterterrorism operation would soon end along with the CSTO mission that he said numbered 2,030 troops and 250 pieces of military hardware. Tokiev defended his decision to invite Russian-led troops into the country and said that doubts over legitimacy of that mission stemmed from a lack of information. Kazakhstan would soon provide will, would soon provide proof to the international community about what had happened. He said, 16 members of the security forces were killed while the number of civilian casualties is still being checked." He said, "Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed victory in defending Kazakhstan from what he described as a foreign-backed terrorist uprising." and promised leaders of other ex-Soviet states that the Moscow-led alliance would protect them too. He told the virtual summit that the CSTO had managed to prevent the undermining of the foundation of the state, the complete degradation of the internal situation in Kazakhstan, and block terrorist criminals, looters, and other criminal elements. Of course, we understand the events in Kazakhstan are not the first and far from the last attempt to interfere in the internal affairs of our states from, other, from the outside, he said. The, measure, the measures taken by the CSTO have clearly shown we will not allow the situation to be rocked at home. Okay, so, uh, you know, th we saw similar uprisings or what colored revolutions in places like Belarus, right, in the Ukraine in 2013. I know that there's a, a couple of other countries where we see situations like this happening. Now, is it possible that uh, they're lying to us? And in fact, you know, uh, they're, that, that's just their excuse for uh, clamping down and being a, a communist country that just kills dissidents. You know, I mean, it's possible, guys, like, but uh, again, uh, a lot of a lot of the little 
like clue factors here. Like the man on the screen, that is not a young Saddam Hussein. That is in fact Karim Mas- Masimov, the uh, the man who is arrested for treason. Okay, um, so uh, looking at this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Keep in mind, Masimov was uh, was a loyalist to Nazarbayev. Nazarbayev, again, being a communist who stripped the country basically of its wealth, the people of its wealth, enriched himself. Kind of sounds like the former president of, uh, of uh, Ukraine. And um, uh, they, you know, they have, they have uh, well, I mean, as it's been said, Masimov actually had ties to... The Biden family. Okay. Now, um, that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's kind of like, okay, well, there's, you know, let's get our, let's get our, you know, 30 ways to Kevin Bacon altogether, right? Our 30 degrees, our two degrees, our six degrees, our one degree. So, you know, you got Nazarbayev to Masimov to Biden. Okay. So if they're cleaning them out and we know that, uh, you know, uh, globalist elites, you know, Western-backed countries have utilized colored revolutions to overthrow countries. Is that something that we could have been seeing here? Because that's clearly what, you know, Putin and Tokiev are saying. I guess a real examination of Tokiev would be necessary to kind of assess where he stands because he was, in fact, installed by Nazarbayev. You have to wonder uh, what's really going on here. But, you know, again, uh, Tokiev has Putin's support. Um, and, uh, that, that is what they're saying. It was a colored revolution possibly by outside in forces, uh, outside forces. Okay. I think this is the last article for tonight, guys. This is from the Manila times. It just talks about Masimov, the guy who was arrested for treason. The Manila Lazan times, it says, uh, Kazakhstan said on Saturday, Sunday in Manila, its former security chief had been arrested for suspected treason during days of unrest as Russia hit back at U.S. criticism of its deployment of troops to the crisis-hit country. News of the detention of Karim Masimov, a former prime minister and longtime ally of Kazakhstan's ex-leader Nursultan Nazarbayev, comes amid speculation of a power struggle in the ex-Soviet Central Asian nation. The domestic intelligence agency, the National Security Committee, KNB, announced that Masimov, had been detained on Thursday on suspicion of high treason. President Kasim Jomar Tokiev sacked Masimov earlier this week after protests over rising fuel prices erupted into widespread violence, with dozens killed and government buildings in the larger city of Almaty destroyed, or um, I saw, I'm sorry, stormed and set ablaze. Tokiev told Russian President Vlad- Vladimir Putin in a lengthy phone call that the situation in the country was stabilizing, the Kremlin said Saturday, and thanked the Moscow-led Collective Security Treaty Organization for sending troops to help deal with the unrest. The CSTO had been dispatching several thousands of troops to Kazakhstan, including Russian paratroops who have been securing strategic sites. Tokiev said the deployment will be temporary, but United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken warned Friday that Kazakhstan may have trouble getting them out. Yes, you know, what the heck is this, guys? Like, really? Like, you know, you're, you're pretty much showing your hand. You, they have a bias and they have aggression towards Russia. And, you know, I still hold by it that they are totally lying to us about what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Like, and it's actually between Russia and NATO, not even Ukraine. Anyways, uh, Anthony Blinken says, I think one lesson in recent history is that once Russians are in your house, it's sometimes very difficult to get them to leave. I mean, why is he provoking things if he isn't, you know, 
I mean, that's that's intentional stuff. But uh, fortunately, Putin, Putin hit something. Putin hit back. I got to admire him for this. Putin said, when Americans are in your house, it can be difficult to stay alive, not being robbed or raped. <laughs> and uh, we know he's talking about the globalist backed, uh, you know, uh, government of America. He's talking about he's talking about America Incorporated, not, you know, not uh, the people of America, not uh, the Trump administration. So, you know, uh, and, you know, people of that kind. He's specifically talking to the deep statists in our country. Uh, so, you know, I take no offense to such a statement. Anyways, uh, an agence France press correspondent in Almaty said the city was quiet but tense on Saturday. Um, Massimo, 56, twice served as Nazarbayev's prime minister and had been head of the KNB since 2016. He was fired at the height of the arrest on Wednesday when Tokyev also took over from uh, took over from Nazarbayev as head of the powerful Security Council. So Tokyev is now head of the Security Council in Kazakhstan. Uh, Nazarbayev spokesman Idos Ukabe on Saturday denied rumors that the ex-president had left the country and said he was urging Kazakhs to rally around the president. Um, denouncing those spreading knowingly false and speculative information, he said the ex-leader was in the capital, Nur Sultan, and in direct contact with Tokyev. So uh, that right there, it's not known if that's accurate information or if that is uh, misinformation. In a hardline address to the nation on Friday, Tokyo said 20,000 armed bandits had attacked Almaty and authorized his forces to shoot to kill without warning. The initial cause of the protest was a spike in fuel prices, but a government move to lower the prices and the sacking of the cabinet failed to stop demonstrations continuing. Uh, so 20,000 bandits, 4,000 uh, detained. And uh, this talks about, uh, you know, the actual... Um, what do you call it? Uh, the, the violence that broke out in the protests. Uh, the interior ministry said 26 armed crim criminals had been killed in the arrest. It said 18 security officers had been killed and more than 740 wounded. More than 4,000 people have been detained, including some foreigners. The ministry said the full picture of the chaos has been often, has often been unclear with widespread disruptions to communications, including day long days, long internet shutdowns, uh, and then it just concludes talking about the flights being shut down and the military guarding the squares uh, in uh, uh, North Sultan and, uh, and other important places. So interesting, interesting perspective, guys. And again, this could flip on a dime, right? And, uh, you know, then we would know the way these people really work. Now, this Massimo, guys, just to, uh, just to close off the night... <laughs> Just to close off the night, uh, this, this was an uh, article from the New York Post, and it actually shows a photo of uh, Joe and Hunter Biden standing next to this uh, Masimov guy, as well as um, an ol a Russian oligarch. No, no, uh, sorry, not a Russian oligarch. I think it's a, a Kaz Kaz Kazakh oligarch. Uh, let me expand that photo. So, you know, guilt by association, right? Now, the article doesn't say that, uh, you know, uh, and this is Masimov right over here. The article does not say that they had specific business dealings, uh, Hunter and Joe and uh, Karim. Uh, it doesn't say that, you know, uh, they, they were, you know, moving money for each other. It says nothing like that. In fact, it talks more about this other guy. 
that uh, that Hunter and this other guy were actually the ones that had these business dealings. But you have Kareem in the same picture. Um, and uh, there's a, a, also an email that shows that uh, apparently Kareem and Hunter were close to each other. Um, but, uh, this one just, uh, basically says here, sorry, this is the true last article. Uh, a new photograph has emerged and this is an old article guys. So that's why it says new, but this, uh, photo has since reemerged October 20th, 2020. Oh, two, two, two. Um, it says a new photograph has emerged of Democrat presidential nominee, Joe Biden posing with Hunter Biden and, uh, Kinas, uh, Rak- Rakishev, a Kazakh oligarch who reportedly worked with the former Veep scandal scarred son. Uh, the snap first published by Kazakhstani anti-corruption website in 2009 follows last week's bombshell post expose detailing Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings and a report claiming Rakishev paid the Biden scion as a go-between broker, uh, as a go-between to broker U.S. investments. In the undated photo shared by Kazakhstani Initiative on Asset Recovery, the former vice president can be seen smiling with Kazakhstan's former prime minister, Karim Masamov, and his son, who is flanked by Rakishev. Um, a Daily Mail report published Friday detailed Hunter Biden's alleged work with Rakishev, claiming he dined regularly with the Kazakh businessman and attempted to facilitate um, investment for his uh, cash in New York, Washington, D.C., and a uh, Nevada mining company. Uh, but Rakishev, who enjoys close ties to Kazakhstan's kleptocratic former president, reportedly ran into trouble when Western business partners realized that the opaque origins of his reported $300 million fortune could become a liability. Uh, The photo's authenticity has not been independently verified, but uh, as the family faces growing uh, scrutiny over Hunter Biden's overseas businesses' interests, while the elder Biden was President Barack Obama's vice president. Okay. And uh, the last thing this uh, article talks about is an email between uh, uh, from Hunter Biden. Let's see here. We'll see that in a minute. It says, The Post published emails last week indicating Hunter Biden introduced his father to Ukrainian oil executives before the Veep pressured Ukrainian government officials to fire the prosecutor involved in an investigation of the shady organization a year later. That is, of course, the infamous uh, projection of the quid pro Joe variety. Biden's campaign denied that the uh, septuagenarian candidate had an official meeting with uh, Vadim Pasharsky, which has since been uh, uh, proven to be false, that statement, but later conceded they couldn't rule out that meeting had ever happened. Okay, so uh, that was just closing off with, uh, of course, the um, Burisma scandal with the Hunter. Now, this is an email uh, from uh, Hunter Biden to this guy named Rob Walker, Re is this guy. And then uh, Hunter says, yes, also standing with Massimo, prime minister of KZ, a close friend. So while there's no specification of what the business dealings or any of the dealings might have been between Hunter Biden and, uh, you know, Kareem Massimov, um, apparently they were close friends. So there's no telling what it could have been either way. This man has now been arrested for treason in Kazakhstan. Um, so I don't know, is there a cleaning up happening over there? That's kind of what I would speculate. You know, I I tend to go the other way and say like, uh, this is a tyrannical government that is, uh, that is just taking out their people. 
There's uh, there's Kareem one more time. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, my spidey sense tells me in this sense, uh, what do they call that? The sea sense that, uh, you know, possibly there's some kind of a cleaning out going over in Eastern Europe. Like I said, uh, Poroshenko is getting all of his uh, his previous properties and stuff uh, nabbed and taken away from him. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a legal term for that. That's not coming to my mind. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah. So, and Poroshenko, of course, again, he was the, uh, he was the uh, corrupt president of Ukraine prior to Zelensky. And, uh, I think all of the, uh, Ukraine and Russia stuff is just getting in everyone's headspace. But like I said, this information could turn on a dime guys, particularly when we're talking about, international geopolitical news and headlines. Uh, you just got to go with a, a good research sense, sense, I would say, and uh, have a bit of a memory and uh, follow your gut, you know. But uh, should anything change in that regard, we'll definitely share it with you all. Uh, I'm always interested in finding uh, nations that uh, would be considerable allies for our country, or at least in the fight against the globalist elitist pig filth that are still trying to take over this planet. Um, but again, as you know, uh, Putin is, uh, Putin, no, just kidding. As uh, President Putin is, um, you know, seen as an enemy in the eyes of the globalists. And so they project that into the fear and the hearts of American people. We know that, uh, we know that uh, Putin is an enemy of the same globalist powers that are trying to take over the world. So, uh, I mean, he was an ally when Trump was in office, you know, and uh, I mean, we'll have to see which way Tokiev goes, right? I mean, maybe Tokiev was just using the CSTO to get into power and enrich himself in Kazakhstan. That could very well be the case too. But time will tell in that regards. And uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe the people of Kazakhstan will rise up again. Uh, because like I said... There was also, uh, um, you know, unrest over the fake elections in 2019 in Kazakhstan. And you guys can go and uh, search that out for yourselves because the information is there uh, on video and in print. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up tonight's show. Thank you all for hanging out so much. I appreciate y'all's attendance and y'all's presence. Uh, thank you all over there at... Um, uh, uh, sorry, Pilled and uh, Foxhole. Uh, Emperor Speech to you. Good to see you. Good evening. Thank you so much for uh, the cookies. I appreciate you. She, she dropped some cookies on me. She tossed her cookies. Appreciate that. Thank you so much, sweetie. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop into here real quick. I know we're a little over time. Oh, that's right. The, there was a Project Vit of Veritas drop tonight. Maybe we'll play that tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to go back and read some of y'all's comments, guys, because... Uh, I think it'll be rather fun. Okay. All right, guys, we're going to go and head out for tonight. We'll be back again tomorrow, um, probably with uh, information that's a little bit easier to digest than all of this, uh, you know, Kazakhstan and Stan Stanistan, right, uh, earliest luck. Okay, y'all, thank you again for tuning in. And uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, as always, um, have a uh, great night. Be safe and be blessed. And God bless America. We will see you all tomorrow.